BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by it in a major way. And today on the show, it's someone who I grew up with. It's it's someone who I've spent um, the majority of my life with, if I actually think about it <laughs> um, in those terms. Mike Halichuk from the band Ruination. From the band Plan Your Escape, from the band Where It Ends, from the band Walls Around Us, from the band The uh, Smart Boys, uh, also of the band Fucked Up, my band as well. Uh, Mike Halichuk is, uh, yeah, we're going to have more on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to uh, the email address, turnoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. There is also ways to get in touch with me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. There's a Facebook page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham and show producer and, and guest booker. And not this week though. I, I booked this one all by myself. Uh, but all, you know, amazing, amazing human being as well. I love you, Tristan. Thank you for everything you do. And, uh, you can reach out to him on there and you can also find us on Tumblr and, and, Etc. Instagram at left at turn it a punk. Uh, it's, it's all over the place. We're everywhere. So go find us. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way of doing that is by subscribing to it, rating it on whatever platform you listen to this on, especially iTunes. Uh, please write us a review on there. Uh, give us a five-star rating, what have you. And speaking of support, this whole shebang would not be possible with the loving, kind support of the fine folks at Vans who came on board and they said, we don't want you to do this out of your pocket. Damien, we want to support you. You book whoever you want to book, and it will, you know, kind of go well with our policy of supporting all different kinds of stuff. And so they have supported this podcast and never once told me who to book or who not to book. And so for that, I uh, thank you them so much. Thank you, Vans, for that. Uh, on to today's show. Today on the show, uh, well, before we get into it, I just want to say thank First of all, thank you to everyone who has sent out condolences. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, Tristan and I, we lost our stepmother this past week uh, suddenly. 
She was an amazing person, Wenda Thompson, uh, someone who, you know, and I've I've experienced the run of step parents over the years, and I've definitely had someone that were not so great, but she was one of the greatest human beings I ever met in my entire life, and she will be missed greatly. Uh, she was Steppy G to my kids, and certainly a, a huge presence in all of our lives. So, really, thank you for all your condolences, and um, yeah, we're gonna get through this. And it's been a rough year, but um, you know, I, I'm glad I have uh, people out there that support me and 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 you know help us get through these things because these tragedies happen in your life, and you know, really, all you can do is keep going. And that's really all we're going to do on this podcast is, is you know, keep going and, and providing people a little bit of an escape, you know, and, and me too, an escape for me, you know, and an escape to, to things that, you know, ultimately don't really matter, but for the sake of escaping are absolutely vital. Um, so rest in peace, Wenda. We, we love you so much and we will miss you forever and uh, hug and hold on to the people you love because, you know, this year has taught me that, you know, you got to do that because you never know when things are going to change. So please go out there and, and make sure you do that and just try and put some love in this world, you know? Um, uh, that's it. Uh, okay. Uh, on to today's show today on the show, Mike, uh, from fucked up. This is, uh, we got a new record out called Dose Your Dreams out on Arts and Crafts, out on Merge. Uh, you can check that thing out wherever you listen to music on all those streaming things. Pick it up at record stores, you know, if you are so inclined because it looks cool. It really does look like it's an amazing piece of work. And I can say that with a little bit of detachment because as you've probably heard, if you've heard anything about this record... I really kind of took a backseat and kind of let Mike take over solely creatively again, which hasn't happened in a long time. And uh, the results are, are pretty awesome. Um, I'm pretty proud of it as far as, you know, something we've done. So check that record out, but also check it out. I've got Mike on the show. Mike's someone that I grew up with, man. Like I really, you know, we, we went from, from boys to men together from discovering kind of music you know, around the same time, but really meeting up, you know, around the age of 16 and gosh, traveled around the world with that dude really have. And we, uh, we have a fun time on this one. Some warnings, some notes. Uh, first of all, I got Mike high, you know, I got Mike a little stoned, you know, cannabis is legal in Canada by the time you're hearing this. So because of that, we celebrated a little bit early and Mike got a little stone. So the first episode, first half of this episode is interesting. First, it's less than half, but first part of this episode is interesting. I, I still think there's a lot of great stuff in there, but uh, he's pretty, pretty baked. You'll hear. And then the second half of the episode was also aided by one of the longtime friends of the show, one of my favorite people, one of definitely Mike's favorite people, too. Because he is the ultimate communicator between all of us. That is Jonah Falco of the band. Fucked up as well. So Jonah's there. Mike's there. I'm there. You know, clearer heads prevail on Mike's part on the second half. And you'll hear that too. It's a fun episode. There's a lot of fun stories in here. A lot of things I forgot about. A lot of biographical details from from my own life as well. So if you take this episode... 
you take the Mike episode, you take a couple more episodes that we have coming up as well. You put them all together. One's with my parents, obviously. You'll you'll get my story. So anyway, I'm not going to blather on anymore. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you again to everyone who sent love and support. And uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Mike Halichuk of the band F- Fucked Up on Turned Out a Punk. All right, buddy. <coughs> it's already on. It's now. It's on. It's Great. real now. Welcome. Thank you. To the uh, to the studio. I don't really have a podcast voice yet. I've only done like three. I know. I feel like uh, you should have done me first. Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, well, this has been a long time coming. You're probably the oldest friend I have in the world. What about Zach? Uh, I've known you longer than I've known Zach. Really? Yep. I've known you longer than I've known... Uh, I think I know, I've know. i known John Orfit more, and I'm longer. So you get a lot more S- shout-outs on this? Simon Wilkinson. No, he hasn't come up. You've come up a lot, though, as you may or may not be aware yeah. in past episodes. Well, we work together. Well, we work together, exactly. But other people have brought you up, too. No, I'm not, uh, you know, that don't work with you. Right. On a daily basis. You're also the first person that's ever brought a drink into the Turn Out of Punk studio. I figured I'd need, like, you Some... know, with the substances. <laughs> There's definitely a heavy cloud in the air that I don't think is your fault. Yeah. I think it's mine. Uh, but, Mike, thanks for coming, buddy. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> we'll probably have the, the exact same conversation we had, like, a hundred times 20 years ago. No, because I don't think I've ever talked to you about your journey. You know what? It's funny, because, like, you and Gavel, obviously, you know, I met at the same time. Um, and Andy, who will probably come up, too. Um, Ryan did this? No, Ryan's never done it. But, like, I remember Ryan's story about meeting you guys on the street, skateboarding. Driveway. But I don't know if I really remember your whole story. I know some of the tapes you got. But I got to start this off the way they all start, Mike, which is how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? No. I think think when I I was that young, my version of punk was a sliding scale kind of thing. Yeah. It was like, I, I think there was that day I got... I remember there's, you probably know about this, I was like on vacation and I bought a Sex Whistles tape and a Melvin's tape and something else. What was the something else? Because I I do remember you telling me the Melvin's, I didn't know the Sex Whistles was the other one. I don't know. Something maybe even like, maybe, no, I don't know, L7 maybe? Okay. Something like this. Where where was that like on your radar from? Because like, you know, I grew up in the exact same city you did and like much music would kind of hint at this stuff, but it was... Well, the Melvins was probably Nirvana, right? Yeah. Because I was I was into all that stuff, but I that was this all the surface stuff. Okay. But I don't know. Where'd you get that stuff? Just from TV and radio? Yeah, videos. Were you into? Uh, you, did you ever listen to CFMY, or is that not your thing? No, I was strictly like much music videos. I didn't really do the radio at all. Like w- radio would be on, I guess, but it wasn't playing stuff that I liked or and I didn't know the good stations. Yeah. Yeah, videos. I guess I remember I was in like shop class in like grade six or something and some the bat like the bad kid that everybody hated walked walked in one day with a, like a tie-dye sex pistols t-shirt whoa and it really shook the school but like i was young enough to still be swayed by <clears throat> peer pressure so what he was the weird kid so i was like that shit's lame yeah 
know? It's funny because you went, was this the school that you went to? Because a lot of people from music went to your school. Uh, Martin Grove? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Baja Bulat. Yeah, there's a, there's a few others of people that brought up other musicians that were like, oh yeah, they went to Martin Grove, they went really? to Martin Grove. Yeah, like, like, and then maybe someone else even told me they knew you in high school that was playing music or something. I've heard from a few people. I've never really heard of anybody going there or even knowing about it. Yeah? Really. Basha. Other than Basha, yeah. But, so where did you kind of go from this aversion stage to being the guy who's buying that tape? I think, I think it w the line was probably like, I liked metal, like Metallica and ACDC and this kind of stuff. Like I remember being like when The Last Action Hero came out. Yes. And <laughs> I was like excited to find that there was ex an exclusive ACDC. Yeah. Stuff like that, so probably I was still s stoked on it. I was probably very newly into them when that movie came out. Yeah. And then it was like, went to Nirvana when that was happening. You went to that Nirvana show? No, I mean like my taste. Oh, yeah. That was what I was into. And then I think sort of settled on when Dookie came out. Yep. I think Dookie was the thing that was the real, like, opener. And also, like, I didn't like... Because remember, it was kind of like the... It was like Green Day versus The Offspring yep. all the time. Like Coke versus Pepsi kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah, Oasis versus Blur yeah. of that era. But I picked sides. I was like, I like the Green Day record. I don't like The Offspring. Yeah, I remember at the time it was like... And it's funny because you see it on this podcast come up, like people, and mainly from our area, I find, but like yeah. that it was like a side. And if you picked the Green Day side, you were like into the lookout stuff and you yeah. were into the kind of the popular stuff. And you picked the offspring side, you were into the more the bro skate culture stuff. But even then, I didn't know any of that. Like, I didn't know what Epitaph was and I didn't know like look like any of the earlier Green Day stuff. Yeah. To me, they were just, they were like they were on the same level as like Metallica or anything you hear on the radio because they were just like the biggest, hugest bands of those years. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was into punk. I was just like, oh, this band's on TV. I like them. Yeah, they were playing... That stuff was being played a lot too that time. That was the explosion. Yeah. yeah. So, but you were already in the Melvins by this point? I can't remember. I Probably the Melvins came first but it was like an outlier to all this kind of stuff and it was whenever Houdini came out. Yeah, that's before Green Day blew up, I think. Okay. I don't remember. Do people usually remember how it happened? Some people. It depends. Like, some people are, are definitely, like, you know, in tune with, like, key moments. But I find, like, myself and a lot of people, it tends to be, like, flashes. Like, you remember yeah. certain, like, yeah. chance encounters or people you're running into or yeah. things like that. What was the first, like, you were buying CDs at the mall at that point, right? So I was buying tapes. Yeah, it was a mall in Ottawa where I, where I got all those tapes. I remember, um... Was it the Rideau Center? Like, right across... The one that's under the bridge? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Dude, that's where I bought all my first punk CDs. Because you are in Oka? Uh, no. I went to uh, Ottawa for uh, a school trip. Yeah. And I went and then bought Mike Watt Powerball Tugboat. It's, it's weird that, like, you remember what the exact... I mean, I do too, but, like, the exact record and, like, what, like why? Because the thing is, like, you know, like, <laughs> it's like... It, it, it's almost like... Uh, I had this guy, Sami Zayn, on this wrestler, and... He's the first to admit, like, he's not, like, the, the capital P punk rocker of all time. Yeah. But, like, his thing is keeps being, like, but it drew him. He was drawn to this thing, and he kept being drawn to it his whole life. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, did the music make me this way, or was I drawn to this music because of who I am? Right. And it's almost like it's, like, a predestiny that people find this music, and it becomes so important to them. Because, like... Think about how many of your peers just, like, music just didn't matter to them. Like, they, they thought music mattered to them, yeah. but they were just into whatever they were told to like on the radio. Right. Well, 
I mean, I also I remember buying records when I was when I was five, and this is the one thing I can date. And it, I bought like the Tears for Fears record that came out that year, or like was out, and then Corey Hart. I had a Banana Rama twelve inch, and all this kind of stuff. But I remember I can remember like sort of being taken to the mall and having like knowing what records I wanted when I was five. Were you watching much music? <clears throat> I have, I don't know. I think my dad had some records, but he would and he had like Talking Heads and stuff, so it was like a thing and. I don't know. I don't know why or how, but so where did you kind of go from? You know, you're seeing Green Day and the Offspring on TV. What was your first like encounter with the actual like culture at large in your eyes? The, sh the first show I was allowed to go to was the Warp Tour <coughs> in '94, which we've spoken about before. Well, we've spoken about it, but no one's heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> that is the the Warp Tour lineup. That you know what a what a weird lineup. <coughs> Sublime, yeah. Uh, L Seven, Quicksand, uh, Orange Nine Millimeter, yeah. Swinging Utters, Swinging Utters, Civ. But that wasn't your first show, because um, I think the Circle Jerks predate that, right? Oh, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is our first meeting. Yeah. <clears throat> so there was this show that was going to take place at the Operas. First of all, where did what, you? Ninety three. No, this would have been that same year, but I think it was like a few months before. The Warp Tour happened. I knew about Circle Jerks maybe from Spin. Okay, yeah, because that record was getting like a lot of coverage, the Debbie Gibson yeah, involvement and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, maybe Spin or like hearing something, somebody talk about them. I mean, that I have no, no recollection of. But so you found out about that show. You're like somehow I'm... I don't even know how I found out they were like they were coming because I didn't really go to record stores. A Circle Jerk show at the Opera House wouldn't have been in like. You know, the star, the newspaper or something. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how I found out about yeah. that show happening, too. But I think it was, like you're saying, it was getting a lot of coverage. They were also being talked about as being, you know, the legendary band that they are. Yeah. To, but that show didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, so the show didn't happen. I remember when I got a drive there by my mom <coughs> and her friend who had plans to, like, go to a movie or something, like, at the Woodbine Theater, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, we're from the, the opposite end of town. So going to like one end of town to the other was a big deal. And so we're waiting in the car, and we I guess we saw some sign that the show was canceled because Circle Jerks broke up, right? Yeah, they told us that someone in the band's mom had died the night before, but like okay. the real story, I guess, was that the band had broken up. And then they were playing... The sign was like, the band is not here, we're playing a movie instead. <laughs> yeah. And we were just like, like so pissed. <clears throat> and like an eager young punk kid would have probably wanted to stay and see the movie and at least be at like a venue yeah but we were like fuck that that was us and so you and so uh, yeah you and Tristan or something no me Tristan my friend Simon <laughs> Ennis uh, Tristan myself this Simon whole group and this whole group of us were down at the show yeah and we saw you guys getting dropped off and we live in that neighborhood so we were like look at losers these losers being yeah. dropped off by their parents and what did you think about us well it really is like that Rivalry on The Simpsons or something. Yeah, I remember like I don't even remember who I went with. I, I think it was Andy. Andy or Joe or something. Which brings up like so by this point you had know. met other punk kids. No, we were just kids that like liked music. Oh, they were just your neighborhood friends, and you guys were gonna yeah. all get into music together type. Yeah, thing. but so yeah, we saw you guys, and you were wearing <clears throat> you were wearing like a white button up shirt, maybe with a tie. Right there, buddy, yeah, behind that, that jacket. Way. And it had um, 
like autographs and stuff on it. Yeah, it had Vans. <laughs> and so you probably saw us and you were like, look at those fucking dorks getting dropped off by their fucking mom. And we were like, look at these posers. <laughs> like sewing stuff and it was we went it was like we went back to the west side because you're like east side of toronto yeah we, we drove back our parents drove us back to the west side and i remember being like yo we went to a concert like wherever the fuck at riverdale or whatever i mean it's crazy that it's called riverdale you know? yeah. and we were like kids over there fucked <laughs> and just sort of like reporting back and what the other side of town was like and it yeah just a real son in the east end but, you know, and I didn't even get this. The best part, which I probably would have made most use of, is I didn't see who the autographs were. But it wasn't at all from, like, Sonic Youth and, like, all these twangy-ass bands. No, I had got, I only gotten it signed by one band by that point because it was uh, before the Warped Tour where I really cleaned right. up in the autographs. Yeah, so uh, here's this kid with one autograph. No, it was sure. signed. I, I went to see Die Cheerleader. Yeah, I remember this happening. And uh, I got them to sign the back of my shirt. And so they had drawn, like, anarchy oh, okay. symbols and all so this stuff. that's why you do that now. Uh, I'll sign. I'll sign anyone. Uh, I'll sign. <laughs> but I mean, in like murals or whatever. Oh yeah, no, I think I, I I do the picture just because I don't want to just be like I'm. You know, I think you and me have the exact opposite philosophy when it comes to autographing people's shit. Well, <laughs> what's yours? <laughs> that I wanted to mean something a little bit to them, you know, in some way yeah. and be recognizable. And yours is I want to get this out of my face yeah. as fast as possible. I mean, I'm lazy about stuff like that, <laughs> but um. That's the thing. I, I think you'll refute this, but I, when I was a kid, even then, I didn't really care about the pe the person in the band. Like, <clears throat> you know, fame, and it sounds trite, but fame. I cared about the band, but if the prospect of, like, meeting somebody who was in a band I liked, yeah, I was like, I don't care. I think you were, that's, been, you know, I think that's your self-defense mechanism, and I think that's been built up over time, because I remember... Back in the day, and this is, we're jumping ahead to when you and me meet, but... This uh, is back in the later day? The later day, when the first night we met our friend Lisa, yeah. and we went back to Lisa's house to hang out with Chris Callahan uh -huh. from Left for Dead, and the three of us, you, me, and Ryan Gavel, yeah. were fucking freaking. What did I do? We were so excited, we're like, holy fuck, we're gonna get to hang out with with Chris Callahan, like this is a big deal. Like we were the original Callahan fans, you know. And it's funny because I wasn't think you even coined that term. Wasn't it like after he was did his main thing that he's known for? Yeah, but well, no. The main thing he's known for is like every band now. It's right, like this is food, and well, now it's food. But every it's amazing how every band he he's been in has become some sort of touchstone for an era in punk and hardcore, right? Like right. that's like me. Well, since fucked up is my only band. Yeah, since fucked up, no ruination. No. <laughs> but like, I, I, I remember us being really excited. Remember, he taped us the original version of the ten inch, where it had all the uncleared uh, samples yes. from Taxi Driver. We both had it, or we both had it. We taped copies of it for both of us, and we were like, okay. we were just go, we were just obsessed with that band. Yeah. And like, I know what you're saying because I've been in the room with you. With dudes that I know you're like a childhood fan of. Yeah. And you've just vibed them the fuck out well, of the room. this is the Because I think you think I'm faking that. I don't think... I think it's like something that's in your head. I don't think it's faking. But I think at the same time, it's like a, a something that's built been built up over time. Because I know 
that there was a time when yeah, it did matter. But maybe, I don't know, maybe not. But that's all to say that's why I don't really like spend a lot of time autographing stuff. Because I don't like, I'm not into the idol of things, you know? Okay, well, let's we'll get to that point. We're not even, we're not even into, uh, <laughs> we're not even the philosophical part of the show yet. We're at 1994 <laughs> and a half now. Yeah, exactly. So you guys go back from that show... Uh, we stayed for the movie, by the way. It was a great rock and roll swindle. Yeah. And it was okay. pretty insane. Kids were throwing chairs around. I don't think I've seen that one. I think we were also the only young people at that show. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't remember other kids showing up. There wasn't, as much as we weren't really part, it didn't seem like there would be a scene that involved, like, young people in that at that point in time. Yeah, it was, like, really kind of forming. It's funny, because, like, Allison was on the show. Uh, Baker. They played? No. No, no, she, on the show. No, it was like she was there. She was on this podcast. I mean, oh, okay. And when she was talking about going to the sea, when Flipper played because she had seen Nirvana wear a flipper pin, yeah. And then that's how she discovered the dwarves, right. you know. And then she like, and all these people were kind of around, like Flanagan and all these yeah. people that are our part, our generation. They were all kind of getting into it around the same time, yeah. Um, but you and me would not meet each other again for another three years. At possibly a trigger happy show at the 360. No, we'll get to that, Mike. I want to find out what happened. Time? I want to find out what happened in the wilderness years. No, I think oh, it was at a straight yeah. face show. Okay. God, <laughs> was that a straight face show or a blood for blood show? No, it would have been. It was way earlier. Than no, blood for blood. Remember, they used to play the 360 all the time on the seven inches. Didn't go. Yes, you did. No. Yes, you did. It was when we also first discovered the Terror Twins mosh synchronized mosh moves. That I. I don't remember the specifics, so I'll cede okay. that to you. Okay, <laughs> I think that those shows would be they were done by Jay Hammer, yeah, uh, from London. I remember somebody ordered a pizza into the show, and I which blew my. I was like, I did not have any idea you couldn't order food to somewhere that wasn't your house. It blew, like, blew my mind. And I was like, wow, fuck, the hardcore is about freedom. You order a pizza into the venue. <laughs> but, um, but before that happened, you went back to Etobicoke and like yeah, decamped. You, you really had, like, the benefit of being in the West End, and I think that's where the hardcore scene really was at that point. You know, like the young hardcore scene, yeah. like the Etobicoke, well, Etobicoke wasn't, but more of the Mississauga-Oakville yeah, stuff. on the other side of the border. Yeah. But I must, I think I must have known about stuff downtown first, and then learned about it, because th- I don't think, I didn't, I wouldn't have known any of that stuff because of, like, neighborhood kids or whatever. Yeah. Because it was kind of too far, and you know, again, this is before like you'd have any way to find out. Yeah, but um, so what was the downtown stuff you got to do? Like hockey teeth? Yeah, like I remember the first the first couple shows I went to were at a squat, which is like kind of rare. You know that squat that yeah. was on Oxford Street. Uh, it was the political like, incorrect house. Yeah, yeah. Like ten bands or something lived yeah. there. And I don't know how it worked, but I remember it would, I would, I went through to like not being allowed to go to any show for like forever, even if it was at like the Maple Leaf Gardens, to going to like a couple opera house shows. And then it was straight to like somehow like going to the squat shows, you know? Yeah. Like I, I, I remember getting Stacy Case's zine and I think that's how I, yeah. And I think that's how I found out about hockey teeth and that whole side of stuff. Um, Which was I, that was like the scene, right? All that was that was a downtown scene, but that yeah. was so much older than us. Yeah, like it was. You go to those shows, and you would be, you know, one of the youngest people in the room, and then you know, you're everyone's poser. Yeah, and I think, um, 
last. Did you? Did you go that last hockey team ship? The one at the. On the combo? Oh, two floors? Yeah, and it was yeah, like... Yeah, but I didn't get to see them. Yeah, I... I they played like five in the morning. They played at five in the morning. I had to yeah. leave too. Yeah. I was hanging on so... It's crazy we didn't see each other then because I imagine we would have been some of the more normal dressed people there. We, pr- I'm sure that... Wouldn't we have known each other by then and talked? No. No? No, no it was way before. Well, not way before. Like a okay. year before. Right. But it's funny though. I went to that show with this kid that later on in life when he was in university or last year of high school dated Ivanka Trump. Wow. Yeah. Damn. He was at the show with me. Huh. See, so that's your taste in punks. <laughs> Mine's a little different. <laughs> he didn't politically identify with Donald Trump. He met her randomly uh, at some place in Europe and they ended up dating. Wouldn't it still be like kind of, I guess it wasn't that bad then. Him. No, no. He was like, yeah. I, well, I'm sure he was terrible behind closed doors, but right. in public. Not publicly. Um, so where did you, you know, like uh, that hockey tee stuff, were you going down to rotate at this point to buy records or? The first Hockey Teeth record I bought was a 7-inch, and I got it at HMV. Oh, yeah. HMV kind of had cool stuff. Like, yeah. Probably like, yeah, was, they had good stuff. Oh, yeah, because you got the whole effects there. The no effects, whole effects. the whole effects there. I got um, a Youth Brigade split, like the new Youth Brigade. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Like, there would, every once in a while, I'd somehow I'd buy a 7-inch seven, a seven of something. Maybe even, like, unheard. Yeah. Well, because they didn't have a listening station for the 7-inches. Yeah, Armed and Hammered I got there. Did you go and see them? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. They were, I think they were my favorites because they were like the fastest and I think sound kind of more hardcore. Yeah, I would love, like I've got the records and the records are killer, but I would love to be able to see them now because I kind of think they would have been like. Like see them play? Yeah. Well, like, like that. As they were then. Yeah. But I think they would have been like the poison idea. Yeah, they were. Of our scene. Yeah. Um, And they had bowling shirts. Um, Do you remember the bowling shirts that you could buy? They were like the cheapest merch in Toronto. But there was, I guess there was a lot of, yeah, rockabilly stylings to all the bands. Remember the Speed, Speed Kings? Kings. I fucking love the Speed Kings. Yeah. Do you remember that video? No, but I remember them playing on Much Music. Well, they had a video too that Much Music used to play, and it starred the aforementioned Allison Baker and Jamie Towns. Yeah, I remember that. Well, they were running into the venue at the last of the show. Were you ever to that Ronergy stuff at all that was happening or no? I used to go to all the Roger on Henry Christmases. Yeah. And Random Killing. Yeah. I liked. Do you remember the show when they smashed the bass and it went to pieces? I don't remember. Okay. Ronergy Christmas. Yeah. Trunk played. Five Knuckle Chuckle also played. Oh, yeah. And that, I really loved Trunk. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe they were the ones when I realized that like there were bands. Because like, when you were in the suburbs and... It seemed like graduating from the suburbs to downtown was like making it as f- yeah. like the biggest thing you could do in music. And they were from Brampton or something. So they, oh, there's, Burlington. there's legit bands from out there too. There must be like kids who live there. Yeah, they were from Burlington because that, that they went up, uh, one of them went up playing in grade. Yeah. And uh, I remember they thanked Rainbow Butt Monkeys on their record. Oh, yeah. They had a hit though, right? That Ra- band? Rainbow Butt Monkeys. Well, they became Finger Eleven had a bunch of hits. Okay. Which is. Uh, yeah, a whole other story how they connect to everything. Right. But so, where did you? What was your first suburb show that you went to? Again, I don't really remember. Um, probably like it might have been. It might have been uh, confined, like the big. There was this one huge com- confined show. Okay. Where it was like their tape release, and so like six hundred and fifty people showed up or something. <laughs> Imagine All being were popular in high, high school. school, and you liked punk. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, I don't know. It was a different world. That's, yeah. 
but it may it, it was me and Ryan going to stuff at this point. It might have been that show. It might have been something something terrible, probably. That I don't know, but I can't remember. Do you remember? Uh, was that the show where they said we're never going to make patches, and then you wrote, "This is not a confined patch on your hat," and that became. Didn't I have a blue confined confined patch on that hat for like ten years? You know, you had a thing that said, "This is not a confined patch," sewn <laughs> onto that hat for ten years. Like the Fugazi thing. <laughs> like the Fugazi yeah. thing. Yeah, but it was because confined that they weren't going to be making patches. Right. <laughs> Great. Good for me. Uh, when was who's Emma? When is that Emma? your first time that you went to there? Um, ninety. Well, when did it open? Like ninety seven. Yeah. Probably around then. I remember going... When it was on the other side of the street still? Yeah, I went there a couple times, and then somehow I befriended Dara. Yeah. Who was doing a shift there, and he was like, he gave me a tour of the of the, the South one before it opened and stuff. So I don't know, whatever the first year of that place was. Dara's, like, one of the coolest, too. Because I remember meeting Dara, too, just as, like, a random kid going to shows. And like, yeah. oh, yeah, he was in Sons of Ishmael. Yeah. Like, and he was just, like, the most... There were so many, like really nice older people that I don't know just felt if it happened now it would be weird be a weirder yeah you'd think it would be weirder like it was a, kind of like a Peter Pan world where everyone was like the same age even though legitimately there were like 50 year olds hanging out with 13 year olds but not in a sketchy way yeah just cause they like had the same 7 inches or something yeah and Toronto's like, like I don't know maybe this is just my experience but it never uh it, it always felt so small. Yeah. You know, like, once we met each other, and, you know, there's, like... I'm sure we could just sit here and name off maybe the 50 people that we always saw at shows. Yeah. And that was the scene. Yeah. Yeah, very... It seemed very tight-knit, like, very labor. I think, like, it was a lot of, like, union people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. And it yeah. was, yeah, very downtown, like, left... Practical left-wing kind of vibe. Yeah, the downtown scene, definitely. And I guess, like, it was, like... Certainly progressive in the suburbs, too, but more idealistic in yeah. its kind of, like, leanings. Yeah. What was the first band you did? Um, I don't know. The one with... There was a bunch with that kid, Joe. Yeah. Who lived a couple blocks away from me that I can't even remember the names of. Was Plan Your Escape? Yep, that was one. Okay. Uh, this kind of a thing, and then we just went... We would change names and... But you didn't play in your escape. You guys did a demo. I remember you playing me something know. that you were like, this was the play in your escape demo. Really? Yeah. I don't... No, I don't remember that. I think I must have sang in that too. Yeah, were you singing at that point? Like, when did you start playing music? Uh, well, I played piano from like age five. To, like, I played piano for a long time, like six years or something. Okay. And then quit and then picked up, like somehow got an acoustic guitar or something and took one lesson and then was a guitar player. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Because you didn't play guitar in any of those bands, though. You were, like, the singer in that point. Both. Oh, you did both in Playing Escape? Yeah. Okay. What was the vibe with that band? No clue. I don't even, I don't remember what I was listening to or, like, even what year it was. Was Ryan in it? No, it was a couple years before Ryan's. Me and Joe, and I don't even know who the other person would have been. we got to find that tape, Mike. I don't know if there is one. I remember you telling me there was one, but anyway. So... When you kind of meet Ryan, by that point, you're already like a hardcore kid. We were already straight edge at that point. You kind of declared yourself. Yeah, I was. I became straight edge at that the second show I went to, the Strung Out show, <laughs> at the Opera House, which I think was '94, '95. With the Vandals. 
And Hebs Duties. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hebs Duties, of course, they played. And then there was between sets, like everybody was just sitting down on the floor and stuff. Yeah. And it was like all kids. Um, and I remember like some girl came in and she was like, Yeah, we just went to Buffalo. Everybody is straight edge there. It's so lame. <laughs> And I didn't know who this person was, but I was like, that's who I am now. <laughs> like, on the spot, because of this girl talking shit about Buffalo Hardcore Kids. <laughs> yeah, that was 94. Okay. So, uh, were you at the AFI Riot Show? Yeah. You were there? Yeah, of course. What are your memories? Uh, being on the balcony and seeing it from the balcony, the fight. Yeah. And then being annoyed that the show got canceled. And also being... It never got canceled. They still went on. Ignite didn't play, though, because they canceled. Didn't they stop the show after... Remember they stopped and then they restarted. I don't remember that. And kids took over. Kids did all the stage stage security for good riddance. Oh. And yeah, being pissed that Ignite canceled. Yeah. Because whenever that was, that was my favorite punk band. And Ignite canceled on Toronto, like... Like ten times. Like ten times. Yeah. So many Ignite shows. That were not exactly yeah, in the end. and you just get stuck seeing whoever has duties. <laughs> I actually when uh, I got to see uh, Blount. Yeah, I remember the name. <laughs> they played at the at the operas, and that was I think that was one of the first times I hung out with Simon Harvey. He came there to flyer, and he gave me the flyer for the Voorhees Hate Breed show that was coming up. Yeah, I remember that. And he pointed to a band on it called Where It Ends. He goes, "If you like Ignite, you'll love this band. They sound just like Ign- really Ignite." We didn't play that show. No, but you were listed on... You had a flyer with a bunch of bands on it for different shows. And you guys were one of the bands on it. Right. But you guys did play with the Voorhees, right? I don't think so. We played Drop Dead. I thought you played another show before that. No, I don't think so. A big one. But anyway, it was on that flyer he had, but he pointed at where it ends. He's like, you like these guys. They sound just like Ignite. Our first press. First press. (laughs) Exactly. So how did where it ends for him? That was when Ryan was in the mix, I think. Yeah. Again, I don't remember. He was in the band. He played guitar. Okay. But I don't know. Just I was into like youth crew stuff at that by that point, and that was what I was trying to do. And he obviously was super into youth crew. Yeah. Well, you guys got him into it, right? Like you gave him the youth the, or the minor threat tape or something when you saw him skateboarding? Maybe. I guess he was into like pop punk or something, but his aesthetic was like, seemed like already like that. You guys were like, we're going to make this guy into a youth crew kid. <laughs> this guy you threw war here. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. You know? Yeah. For uh, for a very long time. Yeah. Um where when where it ends forms, uh where like how did you get in the youth crew? Um I don't know, I think from like a lost and found. You remember the German label? They yep. had like a double C D that had a bunch of stuff on it. Do I Maybe. remember Lost and Found? Yeah. Come on, Mike. Maybe something like that. I can't really. I guess the first Youth of Today record somehow. But I remember like not liking the music, but being like, I have to like this. I have to be into this. Like forcing down food. Because I was like, this is a cool band. I just don't like it. What am I supposed to do? And again, I just waited for the like Disintegrate 7-inch. Yeah. Which is sick. Disengage 7-inch? Disengage, yeah. Yeah. The Gorilla Biscuits, that's why the Gorilla Biscuits, when you're a pop punk kid, are such like a welcome thing to find because you're like oh I get this this somehow may still makes sense to me yeah and I can this will be my gateway to everything else that this band is connected to yeah do you remember the first show you promoted um Dillinger Escape Plan maybe yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Jesuit Dillinger Escape Plan and Botch locals uh no there were no locals on the show okay 
Uh, Jesuit, though, got fucked the border. Uh-huh. That's come up on the show before. Okay. Nate's brought it up. Um, and then, but Dillinger 4 played. Dillinger 4, Dillinger Escape Plan played. Yeah. And, uh, and <laughs> I, botched. I paid him like 50 bucks or something. Paid him 50 bucks. I think, I think you guys played too, where it ends. Okay. You made them food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would bring, I would make like huge things of pasta and chili and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, as like maybe a seventeen year old or something. Yeah. And bring them down these huge Tupperware things. Yeah. And Banzo would eat them. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> For some, who didn't? I don't think they did that day. <laughs> That's funny. I remember Darkest Hour definitely ate all the food you oh, brought yeah, them. Darkest Hour. There was like maybe three people watching. <laughs> there were like no one on that yeah. show. And they're huge. Yeah. They're like one of the yeah oh yeah they're like a big metal band yeah and it was like yeah those were the lean years but not because not Toronto though because you brought food so it wasn't very lean in Toronto nobody was lean after the show no I remember I did a Metro Shifter show that like one person was at and also I forgot to get a microphone (laughs) yeah that guy was like the mayor or whatever wasn't he was he he I remember he ran for mayor of Louisville I think okay um. Remember, we're not going to say which band, but I remember you paid a band not to play one time. Yep. <laughs> like, you just not play this. But that was good because that show was packed or something and like yeah. too many good bands were playing or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I paid them 60 bucks not to play. <laughs> <laughs> you did You did some really good shows, though. Yeah. Like, there was some, like... When it was good, it was Brian, me, it was me and Ryan together. Yeah. Yeah. There was the, the most successful show, and I think, like... A huge show for Toronto Hardcore was that In My Eyes uh, yeah. show at the Jewish Community Center. Yeah. Um, which is amazing that they let you do shows there. <laughs> Could you imagine them allowing people to come in now with a PA and just set yeah. up and play on the floor? Well, it's also surprising that like their shows are the YMCA. Yeah, that's true. It's just, I, it was kind of the same thing. It was like the downtown version of those YMCA shows. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But I think it... I don't know. Maybe because... A YMCA just feels a lot more like, you know, like something that would happen. But just in downtown Toronto, it just didn't feel like there was ever one of those venues. Yeah. Until, until you found the JCC. Yeah. Were you just like cold calling buildings? I, I don't know. I remember maybe somebody told me they had like a they had some kind of a big space or something. But I I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Remember like, I think what was the first show you did there? Um, I don't know. Probably something really small. But the, I think the In My Eye show would have been one of the early ones. Because I remember that was in the big gym. The big gym, before yeah. We just, before, and that was the only show that happened in the big gym, I think. Yeah. Before we found um, the like little corner space. I missed the one the next year, which I think was a Swarm Halloween show. Was that in the little space? Yeah, they all were after that, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. Until they couldn't be there anymore after it got destroyed. Yeah. But they have a nice theater in there. It's a gorgeous building. It's, yeah. a, it's an amazing... Uh, amazing spot, but once again, don't think they're going to be letting uh, Haymaker come in and set up. Uh, we could amps. probably play there if we asked them. You think? Yeah. We should do a, re- we should do a uh, reunion show. Remember, you got Five Knuckle Chuckle to get back together for it for a for fast s- break. For fast break saves the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was a. I made them food too. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, and now that you're in a band like. <clears throat> If someone made you food and brought it to the show, yeah, like it would be a weird thing to, especially if it was like a seventeen-year-old kid. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
<laughs> dirty Tupperware. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're pulling over your dirty knapsack. Like, here you go. It was good food. You were always a good chef. A good chef? Yeah. <laughs> in the kitchen. Yeah. We. Because <laughs> eventually you and me move in together. Yeah. And I don't know what was. I must have been like a, such a lunatic to live with then. It was. We lived in a crazy. We, it was a crazy house. Yeah. Your ex is like living in a corner under a blanket or something? No, she had moved out by the time you guys had moved in. Okay. You guys were all gone. Right. Uh, so they were all gone. And then you, you, uh, Aaron was my yeah. uh, former stayed. roommate's friend and uh, stayed. Yeah. And then you moved in. And then it was the three of us. And then. This is maybe 2000. Yeah. Then yeah. Nathaniel moved in? No. I don't know. Sandy. Sandy moved in, in the hallway. Sandy lived in the hallway for, <laughs> for eight months. <laughs> for eight months. Yeah. <laughs> that was so crazy. Yeah. It was like, uh, it was just complete, like, the wildest house. But it was like a punk rock knowledge incubator. I remember just sitting in your room. We were competing, kind of. We were competing. It was like Beatles, Beach Boys, kind of. Yeah, but we were also, like, just, like, learning so much. Like, yeah. it was, the internet was... You know, high-speed internet was something that was, like, available, mm -hmm. and we were able to kind of get access to all this stuff, which had previously been just kind of, like, you know, taped or, or talked about. This is Kazaa we're using or something? We're using Kazaa. Yeah, I think, yeah, I forget what you use. You would make, like, incredible, I've got a bunch of them here. Tapes. Like these tapes. Yeah. Like, just, like, it's gnarly to go through these tapes. So like, and it, I wish these tapes were, you know, not old mixtapes, because, like, there's it's just like a, a trove of like a beginner's guide to this music and this culture. Yeah. And it was just like, cause we had access to it for once. Yeah. And did the zine too. The zine was a couple years later, wasn't it? No, it was when we were in the house breakout. Fucked up was started when 2001, when we were in there, right? 2001, but I wasn't in it at that point. Right. And it started before that because we, you had made, I remember going with you guys to make quick that night in Kinko's. And we, okay. And it was like when you could drop the key and the key would reset. So. Yeah. Many keys got accidentally dropped. That, that was when you were back from school or before? It was before. Okay. It was after. Right. I do remember that then. Yeah, it was after. It was maybe the first time we met after you got back from school. And you, you had a labret piercing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you would see my labret piercing because I came back for the Swarm's last show. Okay. And that was when wow, you saw really? <laughs> Yeah. That was, uh, my mom was a flight attendant so I could fly standby. Oh, yeah. So I could uh, come back for things like seeing the Swarm's last show. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, no, I missed a lot that year in England. And you and Chris had become like collaborators. You guys were going to do the Christ Punchers. Uh, what were you going to do? Oh, no, what? Jesus Christ. No, it wasn't, it wasn't Christ Punchers. What was the band that you guys were going to do that was going to be like a Christian punk band? And the whole point was to try and get on a Christian <laughs> punk talk show. And it was going to be called like... What's a Christian punk talk show? I don't know. There was like one that was on had some plan. Rogers. You guys had some plan. Okay. Like I came back and you guys had some plan and then you were doing Ruination. Yeah. So I guess I was known to those dudes as like doing shows. Yeah. And... You had done Swarm shows. Yeah. But I don't know why they would have been like, can you play bass? Because I wouldn't, wasn't in like good bands that anybody liked. No, but I think you and Chris had become really tight, and he needed someone from Toronto okay. in the band with him. Right. And you guys were, I think, were talking about doing some other bands, like... I guess so. I don't remember. Because there's that... Ruin you joined Ruination. Yeah. Uh, I remember being pretty jealous. 
Yeah. Because you were in, like, a, a good band. Um, with cool dudes. With cool dudes, with, like, my heroes, like a yeah. dude from fucking Charles Bronson MK Ultra, who wore Wu-Tang shirts in their photos. Yeah. And a guy yeah, that was Earth a big Mover. deal for me, too. I remember being like, this is, I was like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. That this is happening. Yeah, like, that's, like, what's that movie with Mark Wahlberg, which is based on, like, Judas Priest, where he becomes the singer of the band? Huh. Then Mark Wahlberg, Superstar, I think it's called, or... Okay. No, that's that movie about the Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> no, but it's, like, Mark Wahlberg, and he... Rockstar, I think, maybe, or something, where okay. he, uh, the lead singer of this metal band, uh, comes out of the closet, and they kick him out of the band, and they replace him with Mark Wahlberg. Kind of a fucked-up story. Okay. Um, so none of that fucked-up side stuff is involved in yours, but I mean, like... You know, all of a sudden you're in a band with like all our heroes. Yeah. And it was and like, Andy. and it, well, no, Earth Mover. We loved Earth Mover. Okay. Earth Mover was like, you know, one of the. There's what's about killing rapists, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Song's hard. Yeah. <laughs> but so you're in this band that's killing it, you know, yeah. and, and doing really well, but that was like. That was what I think you changed. Into what? I think that trip to Europe broke you in a certain way. Like, I think they were pretty mean to you on that trip. No, it wasn't mean. It was just like, it was my first, my first ever time going on tour anywhere was like a, was a six week tour of Europe. Yeah. All, like all squats and stuff. Two bands in one van and I didn't even have a seat. Like in the daytime, I was slept on the bags. And in the, in the nighttime, I would like lie down in like the channel between the, the two rows of seats. But and it was just too gross and hard and long. Yeah. But I stayed in the band for like a year after that, I think. But that's when you came back. You were changed. You were like hardened, in a way. And maybe that's when, like you, you know, we were talking about earlier when you got over being starstruck and yeah. got over. Maybe it's because you were in a band with your heroes. Yeah. And you were like, well, fuck your heroes. <laughs> right. But I was like always friends with Chris and stuff. Like. There was a period where after that band was over where I don't think you weren't like, you didn't like shit talk them or anything, but right. you weren't, you guys weren't friends Okay. for a while. It seemed like, you know, and I'm, once again, I might, I don't know, maybe it was different to be the person as opposed to the person watching it happen. Yeah. But I remember like you came back from that tour, just that whole experience in that band. Yeah. And that was like the new Mike. Okay. Like a lot more cynical. And, uh, you know, you still mysterious guy, mysterious guy, the birth of the mysterious guy. <laughs> yeah. The end of, uh, Mike, the promoter. <laughs> the beginning. Fast break, Mike. Fast break, Mike. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What was, what was it about that, that tour? Like about that band experience other than, you know, obviously that European tour that you kind of took away from it. Um, I don't know. I guess that being in a band wasn't really a big deal, you know, yeah. Even in, a, in a band that was like cooler that people liked because it was pro yeah it was our like, my first experience of going away and like doing stuff with with music but um who'd you guys play with on that tour blood packed like every show like were you guys playing with any like cool Europe because I figure Ebro uh, would have known like some pretty fucking awesome I don't know okay. maybe I don't know yeah but um <laughs> Yeah, and just, I don't know, not liking being in this band, but knowing that I, like, wanted to do bands. Yeah. And sort of, like, with a vision, maybe. Or, like, like for a purpose. Had you become, like, you were into the Situationist stuff by that point, right? And, like, The Invisibles? Or was that on that tour that you read The Invisibles? I don't 
No, that that was like Kuzama era. So okay, like just before that, that was like political or whatever. Okay, because that was like, I think all those things are really were the catalyst for Quick, which ultimately became fucked up. Like I think it was your political readings that you had been doing. Yeah, mixed with the cynicism, because like we had we had a lot of rules when we started fucked up. Yeah, no talking. No talking. No stopping. No stopping. Yeah. Uh, no taking every gig we were offered. That was right. one of the rules. We would just play with everyone. That's why we ended up playing with, like, Lauren's band, my future wife's band. We started yeah. playing because we would take every gig. Okay. And um, no releases was one of them. No records. Yeah. And then it became no limited records. And then, then no color. And then Whatever. no color records. Um, and I guess we've broken all those rules now. Not so much color, though, as you'd imagine. Well, look at the new record. Yeah, but it's still like a very low percentage. Yeah, no, definitely. We didn't get caught up in the... And we were on the label that really killed that whole trend of making limited versions of records. And yeah. we were just like staunchly like, you can't do this. Yeah. Yeah, I, th yeah, I guess a lot of it was reactions against stuff that we decided was like not the right way to do punk. And I think it was a lot of it was, you know, you had been in Ruination, which was like kind of like the dream scenario. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, was it like all that glitters isn't gold? And then you come back and you're like, I want to do something on my terms. Yeah, I think it was like we would record a lot and maybe I was like, these aren't these songs aren't good enough to be on a record, really. Like, why are we putting eight songs on a seven inch that, you know, they're not really that good? And so I was like, this is just wasting time. Like, I'm going to I want to do a band, but like, I don't I don't ever want to put junk out there. You know, just to like put a seven inch out just so you can go on a tour mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was like every single song, every minute of every song has to be like fully worth it to mm -hmm. survive. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was, I mean, that was, yeah, that was kind of how Fucked Up started with that idea. And it's funny because like Fucked Up experience wise, like Ruination plays your first show. I mean, it's not your first show, but the first show you guys had the record at. Yeah. It sells out before you guys even play. Yeah. You know, just based on that. Whereas with Fucked Up, first record we put out. We couldn't get distributors to take it. Yeah. Like, we couldn't just, no one wanted to do a two-song record. Yeah. It's like the the complete opposite experience. Yeah. In yeah, the early days. People were, like, pissed up, fucked up, kind of, in the early days. Yeah. Yeah, like, their they're distributors were like, you guys are wasting vinyl by not putting more songs on your record. Yeah, the songs are slow. Yeah, yeah, there, there's, there should be more music on this. Look how much wasted space is on this vinyl. Yeah. Like you should just fill it with skits or something. Yeah, but already we were like, well, that's how you're supposed. That's like how Danger House does it. Yeah, you know? we were like, because we were really like scholarly about learning. I remember I used to go to Robarts, the like university library, and just like look for the punk books. Yeah, and bring home like rare punk books. Yeah, so we were like fully going as deep as we could. Yeah, we were definitely just studying it. Like, yeah, that was like the birth of like my H one hundreds obsession. That was like the birth of that danger house obsession. Yeah. Like, and you were talking to these people too. Like, that's the other thing is you like you were doing the zine. Yeah. And you were like reaching out to all these people that were accessible. Yeah. Emailed Lee Ving. Yeah. And he was like, "What's up?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like Zach did his zine back in the day, and then one day Mike Watt sent an email in the early days of email and forgot to BCC like every contact in his. Fuck. So Zach had like every famous person's oh, really? email address <laughs> to write for interview requests. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing when you have access to these people, like the kind of stuff you can glean from these conversations and you can learn. Yeah.
That's what this podcast is. Just punishing people. Um, yeah. I don't remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a pause for a second. Yeah. <laughs> All right, com- commencing round two. Apologies. All right. Last time, <laughs> Last time uh, in my attempt to put you at ease, to make this an easier process, I offered you uh, some... Soon to be legal. Soon substances. to be legal substances. And unfortunately, uh, well, we don't all have the same tolerance. Yeah. I mean, I don't want any people to think that I... I'm not familiar with certain substances, <laughs> certain other ones. I'm cool, dude. Not really part of my purview. Dude, I'm cool. Like, yeah. It's not my fault. <laughs> but we have brought you back yeah. sober uh, light of day or nighttime again. Yeah, I had a whiskey. You had a whiskey? Okay, well, your nerves are settled. Yeah, I saw the McDonald's. Yeah, and I'm now also we have brought in a secondary source for this part of the story... One former guest of the show returning for somewhat of a well, actually, you've been on a lot over the years as as a kind of cameo guest. But Jonah fucking Falco, how are you? I'm pretty well, Damien. Thanks. Awesome, buddy. Good evening. Thank you for coming back to the show. My pleasure. Uh, but this is not about you. No, I'm I'm gonna sit here and look through your fact forty fives. Fact checker. And you, can, you can just call your lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> Me, whenever you need it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go back to uh, before where we were, because we were kind of getting to the point just before Fucked Up formed. Uh-huh. Uh, but I want to take it back, because we forgot about a significant chapter in, uh, well, certainly my life, but Quote I think your life, too. I think it was pretty fucking significant. <laughs> well, okay. So it was a good, ex- it was our first experience playing music together. A hundred percent. But, you know, it didn't really amount to much. Uh, it amounted to two shows. Yeah. Was it only the two? I guess. I think we played at Who's Emma once, and we played at Lions Club once, and, right? We played the de- we played with Death Threat, 
Yeah, we played with Death Threat, and then we played, I think, Who's Emma. Yeah. I think it was the time we made that band come down, and we played on their gear, and then they left. (laughs) Well, I remember the Lions Club show. Oh, was Don Louis, was that the time we played with uh, Panthro UK Night of 13? Oh, maybe, yeah, and there was maybe, I think, two people. (laughs) Two people paid. Remember the Lions Club show? I saw saw our bass player driving away. (laughs) He gave you the finger. No, I don't know if he gave me the, because he was my friend. I don't remember which guy it was. But I was driving one way, and he was driving in the other way. I think you guys were on the street. Or something. I think this is like, okay, we should, we should rewind we're a little bit. we driving our parents' cars. We should rewind a little bit. So you had been doing, immediately before Don Louis, was it, was it Walls Around Us? Probably, yeah. Yeah, so Walls Around Us was kind of like nearing its time of completion, which is the band you did with Ryan Gavel post yeah. Where It Ends. Yeah. Where Ryan sang. And... Uh, I guess we decided we wanted to do a band together. I remember I came over to your house yeah. with Fry, who had been in Promise Kept with me. Yeah. And we tried to do a jam session with the four of us one time. Right. And we liked Converge probably then. We were done with Youth Crew or something. I don't think so. Because it was very metallic sounding. It was very metallic sounding, but I think that was coming from like, remember we were super into like the German, like, Sistral and, and... Right, but that was all Converge stuff anyway. That was, you're right, that is kind of... Morser. I mean, it made us Converge. Who was that, what is it? Morser. Morser, yeah. Yeah. Swarm, Morser, Split. Yeah. And Swarm. You yeah, know, Swarm yeah. had that feeling that, like... Evil sounding. Yeah. Bad, bad guy music. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I think that was, you're right, that was becoming more of the influence. And, and, and His Hero's Gone. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. They were kind of like day. they were kind of like the Beatles, though. The Beatles of crust punk. Of crust of of just like punk nineties punk. Uh, sh- yeah, sure. Well, like you remember when Tragedy formed? How much hype there was? Yes. It was like immediate. Yeah. We're gonna talk. That's about That's just like the Beatles when the as soon as the Beatles formed. <laughs> That's the story. Kids on the internet were like <laughs> the Quarrymen changed their name to the Beatles, and they were yeah. fucking huge. Uh, where did uh, so why did where did walls around us break up? I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. Probably, like, I think me and Ryan were still friends, but I think one of us got sick of it. I thought it was dumb. Maybe some kid moved away. Yeah, I was trying to remember why. I can't remember what that band <clears throat> folded, but then we did Don Louis. Yes. And it was like... For like a year or six months or something. Yeah. Was it... Andy was in it too? Yeah. Joey. Joey. Me. Joe. I guess Joe was the drummer. Joe. I don't think it was Ryan in it. No, no. Ryan did play bass after Andy quit he, on us on the yeah, first show. Yeah, because he was just there. He the was show. just there. He's like, I don't know anything. He songs. pretended. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna get up there so it looks like you guys have a bass player. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be awkward if you <laughs> didn't. Because yeah. yeah, he quit. Do we ever find out why he quit on us at that show? I don't know. It was, it was his bedtime or something. <laughs> it was he insane. His car <laughs> he quit. I think he was nervous. I think he had he had maybe never played a show before or something. No, he had been playing with you guys, hadn't he? No, I don't think so. Have, but I mean I can't remember which person it even was, but it was Joey. I will say I will say nerves and leave it at that. Okay, I would like I would he he and I track him down. I want to track him down because remember you went to I don't think you came with us, but the Rev tour. Uh, I went to that. Oh, you went to no he, he uh, the sick of it all underdog reunion did not vision reunion no. and we drove across the border and it was like he was we were all like sixteen and we crossed the border and the border guard like makes you get out of, and open your trunk. And he left the car and drive and starts driving through the border. Yeah, I've done that, I think. <laughs> Terrifying. We've had See, some, he has nerves. We've had some amazing border experiences. Yep. Time you and Josh switched passports and were in different cars. Yeah. It was yep. a wild time. 
The craziest was the European, the first fucked up European tour. I don't. I wouldn't know. You dodged. You might have read about it on the internet. <laughs> I think I read about that tour on the internet. While you like had your feet up somewhere. And <laughs> While the rest of us are losing Dan Doors in Romania. You want to know actually what I was doing? An interview with Vice. The first interview fucked up ever did with Vice was really? with Artie Philly, and it was while you guys were in Europe. Were all the questions like, "Where are you?" One of the questions was like, "Why aren't you in Europe with your band right now?" And I had some probably really smarmy answer, but. Uh, I stand by the decision. I think it was good. You know, like B gave Beave a chance to kind of flex his muscles pre-urban blight. Gave gave uh, you guys a chance to like go to Europe. Yeah. Gave me a chance to not, not be in Europe. So it was like a it was like a win-win for all of us on that one. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> we stayed in one hotel in a month. In gear, Hungary. Yeah. <laughs> we stayed we slept in. Slept on the side of the highway once in Sweden. We slept on like a lawns downtown in downtown Paris. But I think that would have been the first hotel that fucked up ever stayed in. It was, and I will say, if you Period. had been on that tour, it would have been a lot different. I would have had a lot of breakdowns. Well, you would have made sure certain things happened, like going to fast food restaurants. Well, staying at hotels. <laughs> I don't think I would have because that was before we even had that as like yeah, on the realm. Like, we slept on the highway. Yeah. One night, <clears throat> I might have had a problem with that. I did that on the Swarm tour. The shawarma tour. tour that I took of shawarma restaurants Imagine across Toronto. <laughs> they would have been. They would not be able to talk about them now. If they were called shawarma. Lebanese been, uh... ingredients, ten inch. <laughs> they were. Let it be known, Jonah's laughing, but he's trying to. <laughs> it's amazing watching Jonah. I wish we had made Jonah smoke weed before this. He might have. No, I didn't, but he could have. You should have. <laughs> it's never too late on this podcast. I've got it right over here, dog. No, thank you. The, the funny thing about this... Wow. Smells good in a podcast. It's funny how when you think about shows back then that felt huge, yeah. and then you look at it and you're like, oh, fuck, like... Even small shows are bigger than that. Yeah, well, everything was very small. Everything we was really small. We were doing shows, and so if 100 people showed up to a show... That was everyone. That was a big deal. There was fights at that show, too. No. I think I left early, so I don't know. Dystopia show, there were fights. Yeah, yeah, He that guy broke the toilet off the wall and stuff. And then the Buffalo kids fought the Krusty really? kids. I don't remember that. Yeah, there was because they live played, right? So there was all the Buffalo right. uh, strange kids up. Right. Um, but yeah, it was really small. Like you kind of knew everyone. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's like that now. For people that are... Is it, is it, Jonah? Um, not or is for it me. big enough? No, it's... It's I, bigger now, it feels. It's, it's bigger now, but the really small shows, like the equivalent of the Who's Emma shows, I think are pretty tight-knit. Yeah, you're They're right. Really probably, probably the same way in that regard. 20 people, that kind of thing. Who's Emma shows felt, uh, like Don Louis was that after Who's Emma, right? No, we played at Uzama. Oh, yeah, we did play at Uzama. That's right. Yeah. The point. Now who's high? Well, I'm always you. high. You can't fault me for that. <laughs> I'm always high. Uh, but, yeah, who's Emma was kind of like the clubhouse for a minute. Like, you took over, you and Lisa took over, like, the running of that spot. Yeah, but who's Emma was like a train station, right? It was like any time a band went on tour, it was one of the st- stops, and it was like... It wasn't booked according to like what would be popular or what people would come to. It was like if any punk band came to Toronto, they could have a show there. So there was a lot of dodgy ass shit. 
What like? I don't think so. What was not dodgy? I just no, I don't mean. I obviously not politically dodgy, but like you're saying. Well, that can't throw shows like two people there. The Metro Shifter show we talked about last time, there was zero people there. <laughs> yeah. I would book shows and forget to like rent mic microphones and stuff. Well, that was the th same show, the Metro Shifter show. I booked shows. I booked a couple shows, maybe once, and forgot that I had booked it. Like someone <laughs> else booked the show, and like they got they got there, and the bands got there, and like the door was locked. <laughs> And no one, I would, no one could come up on the door, so the show didn't happen. <laughs> <Stuff like this. laughs> it, but those, that, that, that's not your fault that no one came to those shows. Like Panther UK United Thirteen yeah, is now like a, a considered a legendary band. By who? Uh, that whole art court scene in England. Mm -hmm. I remember, or England, Wales. Apologies, apologies. Slip of the tongue, Wales. Uh, but like, I remember going there and then talking to us about that band being like, oh, that band's amazing. And it's right. like, yeah, like, and they, they, they play the fest. I think they're really popular with that kind of like audience yeah, and stuff now. And like Metro Shifter too, I'm sure has like, you know, their yeah. own people that have discovered them. Like, I think that's more Toronto's fault. Like, you think about like other stuff that happened there. Like, remember sort of Jelly Beans and. Wasn't at that. Um, there was like His Heroes Gone played there. Los Crudos, Drop Dead. Yeah. Like, I just mean like if you. It wasn't Monin? Monin, yeah. Yeah, good stuff happened there. A lot of good shows. Last Renation show, one of my favorite shows. Uh, Not Last Renation show with you, maybe, but Last Susanna show. Were you, ever, you guys played upstairs. Really? Yeah. You played in the front window. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was a I really fun yeah, show. I forgot about that until now. Summer of 2000, maybe. Yeah. That was I think it was just too many people going in that basement at that point. You could fit more people downstairs, couldn't you? Oh. It was the same floor plan except there was no record trip. Maybe there was no records at that point anyways. Yeah, I think it was pretty cleared out, but also I just felt like people could watch from the streets that way. Yeah. It was so many people. Like, that was all, like, 200-plus people from Toronto and surrounding area coming yeah. down to that show. It was the stadium show of Toronto. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was our own Nebworth. Yeah. Uh, and it was... Uh, yeah, it was it was a super good show too, but you got into that. I guess we did talk about this a little bit last time. Ruination, yeah, and uh, wrote out that dream. Yeah, for a while. yeah, did it for a while. Was into it. Really opened my Etobicoke eyes to the the big world out there and what touring was all about. That last tour though, where you pretty much had quit the band in all but actually quitting the band, so we took a separate car. Right, and it was. Oh, yeah. In the it was like the winter and the it was, coast or something. It was the winter, yeah. and we were like basically on a separate tour. You even, this is amazing. Mike even set up his own pirate bootleg Ruination merch stand oh, on that tour, right? where he was selling his own bootleg Ruination shirts <laughs> and his own zine we eat for free about eating plants. Right. It was, without That's a doubt. Freaky. Could you imagine like someone had fucked up doing that like? Well, if somebody now made, like, let's say, like, somebody, Josh, made cupcakes or something. And was like, I'm keeping the 50 cents for these cupcakes. It, but it all, don't be we'd more be, like... We would be cool with it. Yeah, and also, and then he also made a fucked up shirt and sold that, too. You know what, Josh, if you're listening, fucking do it. <laughs> do a Josh cupcake. makes all the shirts anyway. <laughs> do a cupcake merch stand, please. How do you know he's not already doing that? Josh like he said cakes. he makes all the merch. Yeah. He, yeah, he puts the t-shirt orders in. Yeah. Under his other name, Zach Zanger. Josh Zanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you see that in the paper, Jenna? 
No. Josh was named Josh Zager. In the star. <laughs> Fantastic. It was awesome. <laughs> All right. All right. Back to the fun stuff. Right. So ruination done. Yeah. Ruination done. Why What's did you next? finally quit? What was the reason? I felt like they were, the band was putting out records that weren't good enough to be released. So I was like, I don't, not into this. I think we're not as good as a band, sh- this band should be, this kind of stuff. And I think I just was, you know, it's tough, it's hard to tour like that. As hard as it, that is, as it is to tour always. Like the first European tour is six, five or six weeks long. There was two bands in one van, so my seat was on top of all the bags. Yeah, you told us. Yeah, and so it's, you know, you get an, you have enough of that. Well, the, the other thing is on that last tour we did, the whole point of that tour yeah. was to go to New York, and yeah. you guys were going to record with the legend. Oh, Don Fury. Don Fury, yeah. Yeah. So you did get to record with the, with the legendary, you know, Don Fury, who produced the first Cat Power single. Right. You know, that's what he's known for. Hmm. And some other hardcore records, but they probably use rings a bell. But well, his main thing was he's like these drums were used to record "Victim in Pain." That's pretty badass. I'm sure he told Cat Power too. (laughs) I'm sure he told Cat Power, (laughs) (laughs) and then she used them. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and that you guys didn't you do you guys all split the cost of that because it was super expensive, right? The Um, dollar was really bad. I was like the kid in that band, right? So it's kind of like going on tour with your parents, and it's like. I was, what, 19, and it was, like, everyone else was 26 or something. Yeah. Which you're like, wow, these guys are, like, 50. So I didn't see that the money was just, like, somebody would hand Andy money, and then yeah. he would pay for stuff. Yeah, okay. I just had to buy my own hot dogs or whatever. Yeah, and that we were all staying together on that trip. Don't remember any of that. You don't remember that? No. Nope. We stayed at John Lost's apartment in New York? Oh, yeah, I remember that. And uh, you guys were recording way the fuck out in Coney Island. Yeah. For like maybe a day, two days. I think it was like two or three days. Like I remember us being there for a while. Like yeah, that was like the hangout, right? For for a minute, and maybe maybe we like you guys went out and played shows. Probably played. We played ABC No Rio on that trip. Yeah, I remember that. That was cool. That was definitely cool. Tear it up, play too. Really? Yep. A little sick show, dude. Um, nice. And then there was there were like some other great shows on that trip too. <coughs> You played the last, was the last uh, Puncture Wound show in Cleveland? I don't know. That was a funny show, because that was where you were going around and sabotaging your own band set in the middle of the set. By doing what? Like unplugging people's amps? No, I did not. I swear to God. way. You unplugged Andy's amp. (laughs) Marky Smith? Yeah. Because remember, remember we saw that and I hated that guy? Remember, remember they we had to play after the fall, and I was like, "That dick unplugged everybody's amps." I don't remember doing that. <laughs> you walked over, and I was videotaping on your video camera, and you looked at me on the video camera, and then walked over and did it, and then came back. I have done that to Josh a bunch. I think like that was the most like I really think that that was my role model for behavior in fucked up. Was what I witnessed Mike doing on that tour. I'm like, oh, that's how you're supposed to act when you're in a band and on tour. Like an asshole. Yes. And that was really that's like your, you don't. That's your opposite on stage. On stage. Oh right. But I mean, so you took my lesson from the performance and yes. attributed it to your own. I think a performance on and off stage too. Like you it did was, have your own merch table. It was for the forty fans at that show. <laughs> yes. It was actually just for Josh and myself <laughs> and Nathaniel who were watching you over the amp. <laughs> like I don't think I'm high five. <laughs> 
yeah. Um, but you know what? We touched on this last time, but so much of that experience seemed to inform the agenda in Fucked Up early on. Yeah. That's why Fucked Up was so tight. Like, not tight in performance, but like such a tightly wound thing. Yeah. It was a very OCD band. Yeah. Because we were very scholarly about punk also back then, me and you. So it was like the seven inches had to look like a certain thing. We were only allowed to have two songs, all this stuff. And I think this, the onstage stuff, like no talking and no stopping between songs was just like, <clears throat> I think I recognized that it's important to have an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think that was also based out of a Renation show that we saw. Really? Where there was a lot of speeches from right. people in bands. Yeah, which I didn't have an issue with. No. It was just like, we should be... But like, it was, a, it was at a time when like, you know, we go and see Martine speak at a show. Yeah. You know, you're like hanging off every word. Yeah. But not everyone's Martine. And not everyone has... Yeah. Well, Chris was very charismatic, right, on the microphone? Chris was incredible on the microphone, but there was like... You know, so a lot, of, a lot of talking. Not necessarily in ruination, but just at that time in general with bands. Well, I think I wanted fucked up to be mean. You know. Yeah. Like, like a sort of poison idea. We weren't good at our instruments, and we weren't really a good band that at that period. But it was sort of like we should just be mean and imposing, and that's how we'll get people to be to like us. Because like, and not without doing that dumb shit where like you wear your singer wears a chain or whatever, but just being like an imposing presence. Even the, if there's 15 people there. Yeah, which it definitely wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, fucked up MK1. Yeah. I remember you and me sitting in the house, and you were like, I'm going to put together the band, I want it to be the most fucking dysfunctional, fucked up, weird band possible. Yeah. Because we would have these jokes that we'd put, <laughs> we would put bands together, you and me, like different people in the scene that were like, yo, imagine this person, this person, right. and this person had a band together. Huh. And then I remember you being like, I want to do a band that's just got all these people that shouldn't be in a band together. And Jonah. No, it was before Jonah was in it. No. Oh, Chris was the drummer? MK1 right. is Chris on drums. Was there... Josh on vocals. But he didn't ever play a show, right? No, Chris never played a show. Okay. Um, but I think you guys did a couple practices with that. Uh, yeah. And then I think I'd be, maybe even before Sandy on bass, or Sandy was on bass probably right away. She must have been the first one, yeah. Um... And then you guys, then Chris left. Yeah. Uh, which is where my man Jonah Jojo enters. From somewhere. Jojo enters from uh, his uh, his Johnny Johnny New York. What was it called? Again? I don't know. Who you're talking about. <laughs> I think I knew some someone. It was like word on the street was that San, Jonah was very good at playing music. And yeah. I think some. I think somewhere I knew, like, oh, you have to have a good drummer, some good rhythm section. And then I found out, like, ten years later in an interview or something, that you Jonah had never played a, dr- a drum beat in his life. I think it's because we, we, we liked the As One demo. You know the As One? I think we liked that. No, we did. We did. Before, did. before the yeah. name got changed. Did play drums on it? No, but we okay. thought he did because we didn't really know anyone in the band. Right. And I, I knew them from school, but we didn't know who did what right. in the band, or you didn't know who did what. Okay. So I think you thought you asked Jonah, maybe even thinking you were asking Jesse. Imagine if Jesse was in Fucked Up Because of Jonah. <laughs> Different story. And, and Jonah, Jonah, was like, oh Jonah was like a bishop. <laughs> a bishop. <laughs> that world's out there somewhere. That is no, a terrible dimension. Well, that is. Well, you, you asked me if yeah. I had 
You didn't ask me if I could play drums. You just said, do I have access to a drum kit? Oh, Which right. is classic that, Mike that... <laughs> style of questioning. Because at that point, we were using your PA for shows. Right? No, it was you, Jesse's it was PA. Jesse's PA. <laughs> it was, you just thought they were one guy. <laughs> no, but you guys were like, a, you were a duo, right? Yeah, yeah we were. You we were, were like Paul pals. and John. Yeah. Of, of, but we would be like a show. One yep. guy's uh, military style DA cut went slightly to the right. One guy's military <laughs> DA cut went slightly <laughs> yeah. to the left. But yeah, it was like, oh shit, we're doing a show. We need a PA. I don't want to rent it. Let's get as one to play kind of thing I think we were psyched even though we pretty much knew as soon as you asked for the PA why we got asked to play the show <laughs> but we still good we got to play with Haymaker well everybody gets asked for some reason to play a show hey man whatever it is and you probably we'll never know I think we were all like well they're gonna destroy the no, PA no, yeah, no one's getting a PA back at the end of the show <laughs> yeah the first Haymaker show we're like they're definitely going to destroy that gets PA yeah and they did break a bunch of microphones they he Jeff took the microphone in his hand and just fastball pitched it directly <laughs> yes. to a wall. And it stuck I remember it was like if the camera could quickly pan to Jesse and I, we just went like, ooh. Yeah. But probably you were into it too. Uh, well, the even worse thing was that we showed up to the show where we assumed the only thing we had to bring was the PA, because that's a pretty crucial thing. <laughs> Find out that we had to also ask Haymaker to borrow all their gear, which oh, was very intimidating. And I made you, do that. you made him do it. Huh? <laughs> and that was also the day after they had played that show with Maharaj, and the rumor was that they had beaten up Maharaj oh, Haymaker had, yeah. during their set. And we're like, how the fuck is this going to go? Well, the, the joke's on Haymaker because we broke their bass amp at that show, which was also yeah. a what cue did they play to, to leave. Uh... I don't know, but something happened. <laughs> One day we'll find out. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What bass amp Haymaker used at the first show? It was, it, was, uh, it was an Ampeg V4. Huh. <laughs> Jonah knows. Fact checker. Who owns it now? That's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good answer for you. But yeah, you joined, uh, you got asked to join. Yeah. Um, and then you guys, how long was it before then you play that first few shows? Okay, so the first show is, I think, in a, on a June. Okay. Correct. And maybe we had started practicing in March. Correct. Okay. And the very first show was Crispus Latux yeah. at, uh, at um, who's Emma? Planet no, Planet 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 PK, yeah. yeah, of course. And uh, there was the uh, moment where Josh kicked me in the nuts. And that I moment, slammed him. the moment that has rang through the history of fucked up, Shh. clear as a bell, like ding to this day. Uh, still hurts. Still hurts. Still hurts. Still Got works. Kids, though. Still works. Yeah, yeah, but still hurts. Um, so that's why I have nine kids. <laughs> the next show you guys played was that uh, weird ass show. I think it was like a career suicide show. Maybe the first time that fucked up played with career suicide. It's like Alex's birthday. Alex's birthday at Koss. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Was there a headliner that day? Uh, the Stiffs maybe. I mean, the Stiffs played too. Did we use your PA? No, I don't know. I don't no, know. Koss had a PA. Koss had a PA. Nice. Yeah, because they, they they there was a run of Moving shows up. there. There was a run of shows. Remember that's yeah. where the knife fight. Yeah. Mental uh, violent mind show was. Mm -hmm. and, it was like a, a spot for a sec. Yeah. And then the third show was maybe back. Did you play the Panic show? Nope. No, nope, you guys so Maybe that panic. was the third show, and then the fourth show, your first thing was the, the thing at the JCC. Yeah. Josh left to go across uh, the United States. Yep. On uh, a train. And hop in a train, around those rails. Django style. High on cocaine. Probably not. No, that's the, that's the Grateful Dead song. 
Riding that Riding. train. That trip, he kept. Uh, he would send me pictures, and he would be like, "Yeah, I slept in a field last night, and I got bit by a hundred crickets." <laughs> so he would just have like hundreds of welts on his face, and I was like, at this point, I was still pretty crusty punk. But yeah. I was like, oh, "Cool, man, have fun getting bitten by crickets for the next two months." <laughs> yeah, like I'm Josh. With Damien now. <laughs> Josh is. Josh is like the realest member of the band. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. That iteration of the band. That iteration of the band, yeah. It was, uh... He's like the mascot. It was like... It was like... It's wild. And, like, we won't get into everything because, obviously, Josh got into some pretty wild stuff. Um, you know, all positive, motivated. He goes away to train hop around America. Yeah. And then... Did you ask me or did I just say, well, I guess I'm going to sing for these shows you got coming up? Well, we were living together, so I'm sure we were just like... Let's do this. It was destiny. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. Um, and we did the the very first show was opening for my future wife's band at the JCC, Jewish Community Center. We played uh, the what was it called? It was like that kid Matt's. Oh, it was someone? It was someone else's show. Yeah, it was oh, like Dead Letter Department headline. That's it. Uh, Oliver Kinky played. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of bands from that scene of, of kids and that was Lauren's band and so but we were the very first band that played that day I wonder why we had already played four shows uh, I think because we just jo- we just jumped on last second okay um, and I think we did it because you are like I want to play like a big show and see what it's like to play a big show okay. and at that point like those bands were drawing like 200 kids on a kind of a regular basis yeah. so it was a. Uh, it was like a bigger show. Okay. And we played, and uh, I don't remember that. I remember that. <clears throat> I remember like the only people that really watches was like the normal morning guys. Did Lauren watch? Uh, probably in disgust. Nice. Because <laughs> I, uh, you know, she, did you watch her band? Uh, yes. And. Uh, uh, they were good. They were they like they were. You guys dealt with this already. On the show. No, you and Lauren. We've dealt with this. Yeah. We've dealt with this as like a couple, <laughs> yeah. but uh, no, she's never been on the show. She refuses to come on this podcast. Really? Yeah, I've asked her several times. But Damn. So we met with. Uh, she turned out a punk. I know, like way more punk than I am. Like I'm like, How come many, on the show. Is she train hopped. Uh, no, well, but she she not she as does. Punk as Josh. Not as punk as Josh. No one's punk as Josh. <laughs> There's lots of things that Josh has done that none of us can do. <laughs> shit on my pillow in the middle of the street. <laughs> Josh, shit on your pillow. In the middle on of downtown Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my that pillow. life. I've never heard somebody laugh the way that you laughed when that <clears throat> happened, which was just a high-pitched shriek for about 10 minutes. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> So many people who are listening to this probably being like, why would somebody in a band on tour bring a pillow with them? Well, no, I, I like a lot of people that go on tour bring pillows. I've lost, like, I don't know. You used to like use a, a pillow every tour. Like every tour yeah. I'd lose a pillow. Yeah. Without fail. There's pillows of mine across Europe. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, bringing a pillow is not weird. Shitting on someone's pillow in the middle of the street's a little weird. Yeah, that sucks. How did that start? I th- we were in like a dare off or something. It was like a gross off, no, kind no. of. Oh, Jonah remembers. We were. Sandy was shopping. S- Sandy, Sandy was shopping. Get something to eat or no. buy something. She went to buy clothes. Yeah. No, no, that's that was later on that same trip. We were like leaving town, and she went to buy some clothes at a shop she liked. But that I was think the second time. The first this thing happened. She went to get something to eat. Josh went out to have a cigarette, 
and Mike locked him out oh, of the yeah. car and was doing the thing where he's oh, like, yeah. oh, it's open. Oh, now it's locked. Oh, it's open. <laughs> now it's locked. How did he get my pillow out? Well, he, he, the, he got the timing right enough to grab your pillow from the back. And I'm pretty sure Damien maybe egged him on and said, right. shit on his pillow. <laughs> yeah, I think I did tell him to shit on his pillow. And then he, and he just, just had one ready. He just managed to do it. It, he was, duked it was small, but, yeah. you know, it was, a, a for effort. <laughs> it was incredible. It was a small turd. Yeah. It was ceremonial passing. It was incredible. That was like the middle of the day in downtown Montreal. Ah, just off of Main Street. It was in the evening, but then Mike managed to get Josh's hat and then smear it in the the turd. And then that was Josh's lucky hat, so he put it in a plastic bag and drove back to Toronto with it. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's move on to other Ah! topics. Bet you thought this band was close. These are the formative moments of this Polaris prize winning day. That was some gold times. Uh, Also, like, what was the deal with the zine that fucked up came out of? Well, you said I don't know if we how we if we came out of it quick. Well, yeah, okay, but me and Josh, we we wrote like he had a music magazine, and then he did Banks of the Tomb and River. Yeah, and you were doing Breakout. Okay. No, you weren't doing breakout. Yet. I don't remember which breakout. Breakout first. forms with fucked up. But yeah, we were just into Paul. Like we were into like anarchism and situationism and shit like this. And I remember like I was in school in university, really bored of what I was studying. So I'd be putting my time into writing all these ess- like ten thousand word essays about like Baudrillard or whatever, right? <clears throat> and we would just we put out these massive zines. And yeah, I guess we were like, we sh- this is boring. We should do a band of this attitude, I yeah. suppose, is what happened. Well, I think, and also because, like, the original zine, yeah. I think a lot of the original lyrics you wrote right. were based out of articles in the zine, okay. is what you used to say. And that makes sense That's when you look through that zine. That's why we have a song about the Matrix. That's why you got a song about people in comic books with the words upside down. Yeah. Day two running. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess it came out of that, like, yeah, the invisibles and situationism and stuff. And f- yeah, early fucked up was definitely that. Yeah, and it was it was uh, really cool to kind of watch you put this thing together. But then when by the time I got in the band, um, it was already kind of changing and already shifting into something different. Like the first, obviously the first couple of shows, we were just doing stuff from the demo. I was making yeah. up my own lyrics. I didn't have yeah. Josh's lyrics. We recorded that at Jesse's house. Yeah, Martin recorded it in Jesse's house. Yeah, Martin Farkas produced the first fucked up recording. The demo? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and then... Because Career Suicide predates us. Yeah. Just briefly, yeah. Yeah. And so... And then we played those shows. We got going. Yeah, but then... Mm -hmm. When did the record cut, the 7-inch come? That was like, what, a year? I remember we... We did the deal at a JCC show. Maybe it was the hay, the Haymaker one. It was the second JCC show because you you would ask me like we we said that we like we wanted to play that Haymaker show like that was the well, goal. We, okay, but didn't I do that show? Yeah, but right. that but like that was the reason you got me in the band okay. and because I wanted to see I wanted to play that show in a band right. and you were like I want fucked up to play this show. Right. And it was the killing, our war, fucked up. No warning with. Was on the flyer, but they didn't play. They didn't play. Smells like shit. Smells like smells shit. Catching like a fire. Damn. Well, smell like shit. Not only catching fire played, just smells like shit. They were both on the flyer, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and that show was the last show we ever got to do at the JCC. Yeah. 
But it was already going to be, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. They were like, this is the last thing you can do here. Okay. And then Haymaker sealed that deal. With but them. I think that they knew also. Or maybe they didn't, but yeah, they... Yeah, they trashed it. You're saying at the JCC meeting, they're like, okay, listen... <laughs> We know we're going to have to close this down. Let's finally book Haymaker. We've wanted to have them here for a long time. They played here with that Tear It Up show. They threw their gear around, but we know they... Jonah's gear around. <laughs> no, it was their own gear, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah, they, they played the Tear It Up show, and that was supposed to be the very first fucked up show. I remember, yeah, every time booking Haymaker, was, it was like waiting outside of the venue, hoping, because there's no cell phones. It was just, you book them over email... And then you just wait outside hoping the van shows up. <laughs> that was like five minutes before the show. Do you remember that one show where they played and it was like, uh, it was that, that JCC show and they rolled up and then another van rolled up. You're like, whoa, whoa, I thought they were here. Yeah. And that other van had a U-Haul on it too. Uh-huh. And that U-Haul opened up and it was just full of dudes. Oh, great. And it just looked like the ECW locker room getting out of the back like, of this. Do you guys have tickets already? <laughs> They're four dollars, and there are. Do you remember they were smoking inside the venue? Right. And, and, and then it's like the security guard goes over to tell them to stop, and they're just like, "No." Yeah. And it's like, "Okay, thanks, see you guys. Good talk. Enjoy the show." Yeah, that stuff was annoying. <laughs> it was such a fucking crazy show, but that that was the night that the the big deal with Derange was signed when Gord said he wanted to put in a record. Yeah. Um. But what he signed up for and what he got were two very different things. Uh, what, do you think he was hoping for, like, eight songs or something? Yeah, like an eight-song seven-inch, probably, yeah. which would have been kind of the standard of that time. Okay. But did you already have it envisioned that it was going to be different? Yeah, yeah it was like, because we were into Danger House more than yeah. we were into that yeah. current stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. So I think I was like, yeah, the a, the, a punk single is like every other single, it's two songs. None of this, like, four-song nonsense. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, like, you get an England, a British one that would have, like, th- a third song on the B-side, and it'd be a cover or something. Yeah. But yeah, we were very... In, we Yeah, by that point, me and you were, like, so deep into punk st- that we were, like... Everything we did was because of something that happened in, like, the 70s, right? Yeah. Or uh, something that we knew about. Yeah, 100%. Like, I don't want to say it was in the 70s. Like, we recorded that demo at a studio which we kind of knew wasn't going to be the best studio yeah. just because the Left 4 Dead demo had been recorded there, right. the Hacksaw stuff had been recorded there, yeah. and the Haymaker stuff had been recorded there. So we yeah. drove all the way to Hamilton right. to which go to the studio. 40-minute drive. Yeah. It felt like, well, it's like we're going to the, another country. Well, we got like 15 studios within yeah. you know, walking distance of where we are right yeah. now, right? Like Toronto's pretty good for that stuff, but we wanted to be yeah. part of that lineage that had recorded there. Didn't sound good. Did not sound Bad that great. Bad sounding record, for sure. Bad sounding record. Yeah, but I think... Kind you, of charming, though. Well, yeah, and also it was like... It seemed like it was maybe a new thing for that era. Yeah. In terms of, like, our level of punk. But, yeah, the... Yeah, I mean, Circling's a good song. Circling stayed in our set forever. Yeah. And No Pazaran, if we had been able to pull that off the first time we went to Spain, might have been the greatest moment ever fucked up and played. Unfortunately, we didn't pull it off the second time we went to Spain. Did not have the same impact. Right. What happened? Remember the first time everyone was screaming for it? Like, the best fucked up show ever. I don't know what your opinion on the best oh, the fucked up show. Barcelona show? First Barcelona yeah. show is still my favorite fucked up show we ever played. That was cool. Um, and the kids were just screaming for did No Pazaran. No, we didn't know it. Oh, really? So then we came back. Wait, how do we not know that then? Because that was, like, already, like, later? five years into the band. 
And we hadn't played, we only played that song for like the first, right. what, handful of shows maybe that we had it? We never played that song, yeah. Um, but then we went to Spain again the second time, and we did learn it for that. Unfortunately, the show was not nearly as good. Oh, why? What happened? <laughs> uh, we were playing like a much larger venue. Yeah. Uh, with not as many people in it. And right. A lot of those people had moved on that were at the first show. Yeah, a lot of the people had moved on. It was like a weird... We played like... It's like one of those things that happens where you have those shows where you're like, wow, like that Who's Emma show we're talking about. That was the peak of that Who's Emma scene. Was that the show where we played essentially like a stadium? That yeah. was at the Supremes we're playing at the next week? Uh, Salt, Barcelona? No, that was another time. Okay. That was another disastrous yeah. <laughs> show in Spain. No, this was like we were playing a venue, but it was it was definitely a big venue. Right. I think um, it was uh, Apollo, where we played after okay. one of our Primavera appearances, but in the smaller room. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it just was like not the greatest show, unlike the first time. Right. It was amazing. It happens. But yeah, that's so that single we got we got that single out. Remember, we also like we're putting it together. We definitely wanted the Danger House vibe for it. We also wanted it to look like a Rude Kid single, and that's why it has yeah. that little banner that says oh, "Back on the with. Corner." Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the art in execution it's got uh, a blotch on it. Kind of, kind of got a blotch on it. Yeah. The image looks a little dark. Yeah. Um, but it definitely establishes the aesthetic. Yeah. Well. But it's weird that it didn't have the classic, um, whatever you want to call it, on all the other seven inches. This it, it was before you discovered that yeah. font, Clarendon. Mm-hmm. That would have been cool if I, if we had that. But it's got the same idea. layout, doesn't it? It no. does. Yeah, it says like song and then fucked up or yeah. whatever. Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, maybe it's reverse or something. It says deranged on the corner, right. the bottom corner. But everything we got on that was like a reference. Oh, no, you're right. It doesn't. Never mind. I can't remember. Yeah, it doesn't. Everything about that is a reference though <laughs> to to yeah. something in punk. Yeah, for sure. And some sort of uh, I don't know, like I, I really like, and this is, comes from doing this podcast. I really feel that we kind of follow in a tradition of of like nerdy punk bands that goes back to like you know pissed happy children, you know uh, yeah. poison ideas in there too, but just bands that like study the genre. Spaz, obviously. Well, that's and, the thing that comes up so much now when you do interviews about like the kind of music you write. But it's like we were in, we were in a punk band because we were interested in like history, uh-huh. right? And we weren't musicians or anything. We were just like, this is what a, these look these look cool. I want to make one of these things. But we yeah. weren't performers or anything. It was more like replicating something. Yeah, like I think the performance was also like was informed by like other people. Like not in a way that it was like studied to the point of trying to copy someone, but it was like. I'm gonna, I want to be like this guy on stage mixed with this person on stage mixed yeah. with that person on stage and yeah. and make this sort of amalgam of, of all these different people that I've watched footage of, like tape of. Like it's almost like a sports team approach like where you study tape yeah. and it's like we would just study tape of punk. Get books in the library. Books in the library <clears throat> and just, just yeah, immerse ourselves in it. Yeah. And then... Not study. Not study. Let's just learn about punk. <laughs> Let's just learn about punk and what flyers used to look like. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. watch mushrooms grow in our roommate's basement as we sat on his computer and took advantage of his high speed internet. Yeah. There's a lot of floods, so mushrooms were growing <laughs> in the house. It was a wild house. It was kind of a kind of a yeah. An interesting place to live for a while. I found a raccoon eating a fish on my bed one day when I got home. <laughs> 
See, these are our punk, actual punk. <laughs> you remember? I think it was you, where some guy just like, oh no, it was Aaron. One day, some guy just like walked into the house. Like Aaron's really? in the living room, and he's like, oh hey. Aaron's like, hey. And he's like, okay, see you later. And just like walked <laughs> out, but he, like walked through. We had two sets of doors to get into the place, and the guy just like walked in. Okay. So it wasn't raccoons; it was a person just wandering in randomly. Did he have a fish? Did the man <laughs> have a fish? <laughs> Did not have a fish. Um, but it was the wildest thing. I think this was at every stage too, especially in the beginning. Is that like Max Rock and Roll? Yeah. Liked us. Yeah. You know, like even from the demo. Yeah. There was that review where it compared us to the H one hundreds. Really? Yeah. Or maybe some of the seventies compared to the H one hundreds somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's like it was like doing a test, I guess. Like we were ve- we studied very hard, and then yeah. And then Bruce Roars. I've got a picture of him somewhere here. Yeah. Uh, I can't see it now. But Bruce Roars wrote us about us in his column. Mm. Right. And it felt like all this Bill stuff. Billboard or something. Part, it felt like a very big deal. Oh, it felt huge. And it felt like this is what we've been writing for and waiting for for so long. Yeah. You know, like to. And now we were having this kind of moment. Yeah. Um, and then what was next? Police. And that was what, like, maybe a year later or something? I remember the, the like, the next ones coming all seeming to be very fast together. We recorded, like, ten songs at the police session, which became the Haymaker really? Split. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Andrew John Pops. Drew mixed police and Rob Sanzo mixed the Haymaker Split and they sound different. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was that, it was, I guess it was that and that... Police and um, baiting and dance of death. I remember just being like, bam, bam, bam. Mm. But by that point, we had gone to audio. <clears throat> by that point, we had gone to Audio Lab. We discovered. Yeah. You had found Audio Lab. Yeah. Eric Smith, the old career suicide drummer, found it in the phone book. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also like other bands, punk bands, have recorded there too. Like the Trilams uh, had recorded a record for Zach's label, Duct Tape there. Ah, cool. I didn't way back when or something. Like, there have been, like, other things, but yeah, like, Eric found that place, and then, I guess ultimately <laughs> through you, but it became, like, the place to record for a long time. Well, once Fucked Up and Crew Suicide had both had records come out there, <clears throat> it was, like, the cheapest game in town. Yeah. The closest place to where most, most of the people playing music lived. You lived right behind it, didn't you? Yeah, it's a few doors away from yeah. where my childhood home was. Yeah, and I, like, we could all kind of, like, walk there or bike there yep. from where we were living at the time. Um, yeah. And it was, like, right where we practiced. A litany we did there, too, right? Yeah. It's right where we practiced. Yeah. The mm-hmm. most interesting practice studio space in the world. Cactus Studios. It's wild to think that, like, three people... people died there? Yeah, three people died there. Yeah. There is still a... That guy still has a space, right? A different space now. He wasn't... It's at uh, Dufferin and DuPont still. Yeah. No, I know. And he was not responsible for any of those people's deaths, so we should definitely establish that. It makes it seem like we're going to, like, a slaughterhouse, and he's got a new space where he's doing it again. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, no. Um, But, yeah, there was a... It was quite a... I can remember when the photographer from I showed up to shoot us for the cover, and it was just being kind of mortified at (laughs) Steve's still looking for a copy of that iMagazine. I don't remember that. By the way. Okay, I could have to find it. the picture? It's us in one of the practice rooms surrounded by that guy's graffiti. And we were trying to spell really? fucked up with uh, with um, sparklers. Oh, what, yeah. Was it for a Hidden World or something? Uh, I think it was Hidden World. It must have been. It must have remember been, Remember we yeah. signed the Hidden World, we signed that record contract all together, like, 
in at Cactus a docking bay or something. Yeah, like, Cactus to deliver the potatoes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a music. We've never had <laughs> like. So have we ever had like a cool place to sign a contract? Like, like, like a desk. Yeah, like I remember. I think we signed one know. outside my old apartment. Um, I the signed, last one I signed. Like you just click a thing on the internet and it signs for you. Ducky sign. No, yeah. I just I just signed one with Jonah. Really? Walking down the street. Oh, that's the Arts and Crafts one. Yeah, that's right. We, we signed did it at the corner of Geary and Dufferin. Yeah, we recorded same neighborhood. The yeah. Matador contract maybe just like through the mail or something. Uh, yeah, but we didn't actually do any sort of like big signing party or anything like that. You know, like we're not really that organized. No signing party. Well, you know, like that's what you see in the music industry. People used to yeah. do these signing parties. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe probably just a movie. Or if it's for like a million dollars or something. Yeah. It's amazing how much of our band's existence takes place on one street. That's Street Geary. Our first practice space is there. Mm-hmm. The place we record most of our records is there. Yeah, now. And now, our, there now. And now our practice space is there. And, uh, another place there on that street. It's like, we could, we should just move there. Like all our houses? All our houses. Well, you're like a block away. Now, now I'm, I'm super close. Jonah yeah. lives in England, so that's not very far. No, Jonah's, Jonah's going to have to move back. Yeah. I have, I, I could, you know, I have, have ways to be close to that street, though. Well, because I was thinking, like, you, you live currently on a boat. That's correct. Once you moved onto a train, and then we could park right outside on Geary when you drove your train here. Trains are, uh, they're getting really cheap now. They're the boats of land. They're, they're, yeah, land, they're land, land boats. boats. They are very spacious, very old <laughs> industrial infrastructure. It's perfect. Yeah, it'd be amazing. And I, I'm sure there's a train track that links the UK to Canada. Yes, there is. There absolutely is. The Transatlantic Train Express. <laughs> oh. It stops right outside of Cactus Studios and Who's Emma, and then goes straight to London. Um, well, I want to wrap soon, but I kind of want to wrap before we get to Hidden World, because if I come back for a part two, we can start at Hidden World. Okay. Um, but I kind of want to talk to you about the plan, because Fucked Up had a very defined plan. You know, we've you and me haven't talked about this together. I've definitely talked about this in other interviews with people. Yeah. Um, but there was that plan, right? They were going to put out a certain number of records. Okay. And then there was going to be Crusades and Cascades released at the same time. Yeah. And then you are going to do the, that. the seven inch Back to the Womb. Back to the womb is, yeah, that's still in my head. And then it was going to be end. Yeah. Well, no, I think it was, I I don't think I, back to the womb was going to be our last thing, but I don't think I had a, ever had a date on it. I wasn't, I think as, as soon as we had, we got really rolling with all those singles, I think we were just. I don't know. I thought there was still but that I think plan. the plan was, I don't know. I thought it was like. Maybe put out an album. Don't, yeah, but did we also say like no going on tour and all this? Uh, yeah, that was. But this is after that. Okay. But I thought the album was Cascades and Crusades. Yeah. And they were both supposed to come out under range, or one of them was going to come out under range, and one was going to come out on another label. And then I think it changed when we went on that tour with Hardskin, and I met Darren from J Tree. Yeah. At the Philly Church, and he's like, "Would fucked up do a record on J Tree?" Okay. And then we talked about it, and we were like, "Well, what if we did something different?" Like if we change up the idea, yeah, we didn't have anything written, right? I think originally the first no. album was going to have all of the A sides. I thought there was, was like, like I thought the whole thing was you were like I don't want to do an album with all the singles, all the yeah. A sides, maybe because I think you were like Police has to be on the album. Yeah, you're an idiot. Yeah, and I was like no, but I think I don't know why because that sort of would be a very classic idea. But Cascades and Crusades, it was going to be built around one riff. Cruel Crusades was going to be like the album with all the all the songs we wrote. Cascades was supposed to be yeah, like write a song, and then 
the next song has a riff from the first song yeah. in it and then the third like this like the fibonacci sequence or something but the first song was um queen of hearts oh really yeah queen of hearts was written in like all most of the riffs for that song is from like 2005 or something <clears throat> and i was like this has so many parts i could take one of these parts and make it into a whole other song and so i think it was going to be queen of hearts Oh, okay. I still have somewhere the like bedroom recording you did of that, like onto right, a right. tape deck or whatever that I would digitize for you. Was that when you were living in High Park? Um, Dover, Davenport. Oh, Davenport. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because there was like, um, yeah, because there was definitely like a thing that we were going to do for those two records, and then do the back of the womb seven inch. That was right. going to be the way we ended the band, and then we we're going to do get bent. Get. Yeah, you were going to be in that? Yeah. We have to do practices, and then we wrote really? some songs. I remember having a tape with, like, 25 songs on it that it was called Get Bent. Yeah, and then... And we're, th thinking they were so good. We were going to do, like... like Ramones style. Kind yeah, of it was Ramones, and we were, yeah. like... Just our big a, big influences were Trevor Negro. Yeah. Helicopters. I didn't like them. No, but you want we wanted to do a band like that. Yeah. And the Ramones. We, we should still do that record. The Get Bent record? Yeah. But I think there have been bands called Get Bent. There is one, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. I think it was a, a really, but that was going to be the, that was going to be the real band. Fucked up was going to be the project, right. okay, and that was going to be the real one where we made it. Where we made it, we were going to get on Man's Ruin. Our idea band for making it also was just called <laughs> Get Ben. <laughs> we didn't really aim high enough yeah. at any stage. Um, it was a uh, yeah, but then that was going to be it, and then you know we talked to J Tree, uh -huh. and Hidden World kind of came about, right? Yeah. Which I yeah, is that for next time or? I guess we can, yeah we can start talking about it. I don't. Did we have? Were we like okay? We have a record deal. Let's write an uh, album. Or we did have? Did we have it all? I remember kind of rushing some. I remember yeah. Manqueller Man and David Comes to Life. We were like we need like two more songs and wrote them in maybe a week or something. David Comes to Life. I recall writing in in like at forty minutes or less. Yeah. And it was but supposed we, to sound like the Sex Pistols or something. We must have had some semblance of what No, it was supposed to kind of sound like the Ramones because I was like, I can't write lyrics this. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And you're like, think of it as a Ramones song. Da na 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 na. Da da da. Da na 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 na. Da da da. Yeah. And that's so why I was like, okay. And that's why when he's like, David was a boy. Right. Just a ledge. Simple means of birth. Oh, so sick. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was. I think, and also, because I was dealing with the record labels back then, and JTree's like, how much would it cost you, how much is it going to cost you to record an LP? And I'm like, doing the math in my head, like, based on nothing, because I've never yeah. done anything on that side. I'm like, I don't know, $2,000, you know? Yeah. And I, so every day they'd call and be like, hey, man, you done? I'm like, well, I used no. to have to talk to that. I would have to, like, take breaks from the studio to call this to talk to whatever guy it was and he was like it's too much money it's we need the record out it's costing too much money which thinking about now like the how low the stakes were on like our first record on who cares it cost us 10,000 bucks it was it, it was an expensive 10, 000, record i guess for like for that for our band like us that was like an ungodly amount of money yeah absolutely i guess so like it's, we recorded that at two studios yeah but Three? at the time even two. it was like like God, we need more money, you know. No, we because uh, I definitely did some vocals at uh, we did Signal. It at Signal, yeah. Uh, no, we recorded Halla music. Yeah, but then I had Hallam to do vocal Signal, yeah. Signal, Signal yeah. for for vocals and some other stuff. Yeah, I remember being there more than I remember being at Halla. Yeah, I remember being Halla for a few days. I remember definitely Halla the point where we 
recorded all the tracks and John Drew was trying to do some overdubs and he's like, why isn't this sounding right? Oh yeah, guitar was out of tune. And a guitar had been out of tune. the second record too. Did it happen on the second record? It happened on chemistry. There was a moment like six months on and he was like, okay, Mike. Because I used a guitar for both of those records that had what, like, what is it called? Lock tuning or whatever. Yeah. So it wasn't, and I didn't keep it in care. So it wasn't tuned to anything. It was just tuned to itself. And so Josh had to tune to my guitar. Yeah. Which is not how you're supposed to do anything. And so we would do this on record and then, yeah, Hidden World, he was like, all your guitars are out of tune. He's like, we're going to have to scrap the whole record. Yeah, freaking out. And then it's happened again on Sun of, or on uh, Chemistry. chemistry. Yeah. And I was like, I don't care. Fuck you. Like, we're not doing it again. <laughs> we, I remember being on the streetcar on the way home from that recording session for Hidden World with Josh. <clears throat> being like, how the fuck am I going to tell J Tree? <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to record it all again. Yeah, I don't know. When I talk, I just remember it seeming like, left, like no money. Because it was like, it wasn't like we were... We probably like made pasta and brought it to the studio and just made all our own food and we're probably recording. No, we went to like Gales. 16 hours. It was yeah, the Gales cheapest restaurant in North America. Cents. Is it the cheapest restaurant in North America? It's got to be there. It's got one of the cheapest restaurants. But we were like recording for 16 hours a day, right? And it yeah. was, you know, we, were, we weren't wasting money. I was like, this is just how much it costs. We need more money. I remember doing vocals for one song and it probably was Crusades. And I helped AFI load in. Well, I didn't help them. I got paid to load AFI in for a secret show. Yeah. Came and did vocals and had to go and help them load out from the show. Yeah. And then came back to the studio and did more vocals. Yeah. It was like a, a crazy... I don't remember where I was working then, but... Yeah, it was a lot. We were just always in there. <clears throat> yeah. Not it, sleeping. You watched the entire Godfather trilogy? Uh, that was someone else. Okay. <laughs> Oh, no, that was me, correct? Yeah, that was you. Oh, well, yeah. someone else was recording. But then, I, yeah, I remember when we did Generation, it was like, we recorded, we started probably like at noon or whatever, and we were like, we have to get this record done, and we have a show in Philly tomorrow. Yeah, we're about to leave for tour. Yeah, so we just recorded it all overnight. We recorded yeah. all night, and then just got in the van and drove. Yeah, so it wasn't like we were wasting time or money or anything. Yeah, but Generation, the thing is, the LPs are always different than the singles. Yeah. You know, like, back then, we would go and do, like, a hundred songs like you know just like go and be like okay let's do all these songs in one go but with the lps like look this one took fucking two years yeah the last one took like a year and a half yeah one before that took about a year yeah, yeah and like months. we take a long time to do lps you know and i think that's because as a band i think we all collectively value them more than seven inches like the idea that like like, yeah. you know, we're in a room surrounded by killer EPs, but there's way less killer LPs out there. It's yeah. a lot harder to do something worthy of an LP. But I think now if somebody was like, do a 7-inch, and it, was, it wasn't just like a single from an album, I bet we would, I bet it would take a while to do. To even to just make two, because I feel like now making two, condensing stuff, something into two songs, or essentially one song, because the B-side would just be a joke would be almost as hard as doing a f- album. Yeah, like but I dep- I think it depends what you do. Like we recorded that one, you know, new record, the secret record. Like how long did it take you guys to record that one? Which one? The Japanese influenced hardcore oh, record. F- 15 minutes. Yeah, and then it took us like, you know, like we're doing that, you know, we could do songs like I think we could churn out records in that speed, but like the LPs have always been something that, you know, have been approached with a different yeah. it's 5 years to put out that first LP, right? 4 years? Yeah, yeah, cuz I think we were like it has to be an LP. Yeah, it has to be more than just the sum of its 10 songs or whatever. And not only that, like 
nobody was a full-time musician with time on their hands. Everybody was working or doing something. So yeah. we could practice once yeah. a week sometimes, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny because, like, talking to Jerry A for the podcast and, you know, I'm asking him about Feel the Darkness. Like, I'm like, the way it's laid out track-wise, like, you guys yeah. must have thought about that. And, like, he's like, nah, to be honest with you, it's just the way it worked out. Same thing with, because, well, cause, like, Hidden World doesn't have even many guitar overdubs on it. It's very stripped down. So, yeah, I think we just did it in like 10 days or something and it doesn't have much stuff on it over top it's got, it's got, it's got some stuff it's got the violins it's got a couple guest Kinda, vocals yeah. remember George came in and did some stuff and yeah. he's on a bunch and uh, some, some other things like there's a lot of stylistic elements that are in place on that record that I think you know set the tone for who we are as a band more than anything that came prior I kind of have always wanted to re-record that that whole record yeah like in the way we do the way we make albums now because there would be so much more shit all over it, right? If I had two years to make Hidden World, <laughs> they, you know. Yeah, that's that, people love when when creators do that. When they go back and take something that people really like and cherish and, you know, just redo it. This isn't what we were thinking at all. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> one of my original ideas for this record was going to be, I think I told you, maybe like re-record Hidden World and just sort of like redact the first one out of existence. <laughs> Not because it's we would not even thinking like oh like I'm gonna make a better version of it as like as like an out of touch thirty something year old thirty eight year old but just because be to be like weird and just be like it would be fun for me to redo it and see what else other crazy shit I could put over top of it and then just make it so that the first one didn't exist anymore like retcon it yeah I think I think there would be a little bit of a protest yeah but that's <laughs> you know that's something we would have done like. When we first started. We would have... Ah, you think we would have? Yeah. I don't think we would have taken it too seriously to do that. <coughs> We're doing it. We would have been like, no, that's so... <laughs> it's like, no, that's what a pro-core band would do. We'd never do that. That's We're not a pro-core band. The sixth LP is going to be Hidden World. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh, but this is how David Comes to Life became a rock opera, where we're like, nah, we'd never do that. And Mike just goes, we're doing it. Hitting so It's going to be Mike doing the whole record, Elliot Smith style, just yeah. by himself. Solo acoustic. Um, Well, Mike, Jonah, by the time I edit out all the uh, high mumblings and everything, this is still going to be a very long episode. High mumblings? That's a good band name. High mumblings, there you go. It's going in the list. Don't be surprised if you hear about a dropping high mumbling single soon. Hitting many worlds by high mumbling. Um, Yeah. Also, uh, since I got both you guys here now, how many more records am I going to be surprised by that are going to come out? I think it's everything. Uh, Dolly Dream. Oh, right. What's going on with that? Who knows? Okay. There's like another record? Dolly, it's like a doo-wop thing with uh, Meg Remy on it. <laughs> that she essentially wrote the whole thing. And so that's going to come out too eventually? On Slumberland. So, wow. Yeah. What a, what a creative partnership you two have had. Well, two years. Yeah. Something in two years. Yeah. Well, it's been uh it's been fun to watch happen. This is like the, the still recording? Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Well you weren't supposed to reveal that? No, I mean it doesn't really matter. I can drop it out. I can beep it. I'll put still more to come and you'll be like, uh ah, and then I'll go to the end. I don't know when it's coming out though. It's supposed okay. to be out. Okay. Uh but that's it. Okay. Guess we're going on tour. Pretty soon. You gonna come back for part two? Yeah, we barely even got to, I guess we talked about, like, up to 2006. Yeah. 
we get to 12 more years we kind of skipped over really the part where like i nearly quit the band and you guys did go to europe without me with beef yeah that'd be fun to talk about because uh the liner notes for the first fucked up mixtape which were what pretty mean I thought you just were... Yeah, I remember you called me from somewhere being like, I'm freaking out, I can't go into it. Yeah, in Chicago, and then I came back. You were in Chicago? I was in Chicago. For what? Uh, the Pink Eye? The disastrous Pink Eye tour oh. where I ate, what was it, like 6,000 no, calories in yeah. one day? You went on it? Yeah. Jonah's in Pink, Pink Eye. Eye. Oh, right. Yeah. Jonah was Pink Eye. Um, but I, uh, I ate, like, I don't know how many thousand... Like, you, close you, to 10,000 calories. You had... More fast food than any person should eat in a day. And then I went and ate that Slinger. Yeah, yeah. The Slinger is like a fast food plate in Chicago. It's like an elliptical plate with hash browns, fried eggs, beans, ground beef. Two cheeseburgers. Two cheeseburgers and chili on top. And they give the whole thing in chili. Damn. Yeah, it was disgusting. And then I called you the next day and I was freaking out. I was probably having like a, a weird like calorie overdose. <laughs> <laughs> the pancreas is exploding. I think I must have drank like... And that was three gallons of soda that day. Like, it was a wild trip. We went to Culver's. That came out before Hidden World? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we went to Culver's and uh, the Wiener Circle. No, we didn't go to the Wiener Circle. Oh, okay. Maybe you guys went to the Wiener Circle when I got the Slinger, because Lauren know. came on that tour. Yeah, I remember. So I was like... Uh, and the Beef Drove. The Beef Drove. <laughs> Maybe you just saw some potential in the guy. Yo, I can't wait to have Beef on. Yo, what up? <laughs> Here's how I got in a punk. I don't know. <laughs> uh, this has been awesome. We should record more on tour. Yeah, sure. So the mic up and just start recording. <clears throat> it's with you every day out there. I know. There's probably there's like 10 more hours of stuff to talk about. I know. I know. At least. Yeah. At least. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, now, do you want to smoke some weed? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for coming on this show. And you heard it right there. Mike's gonna be back for more parts. You know, we got a we got a whole whole tour cycle to get to. So finally, hopefully, get to the part two with Sandy, part two with Jonah, part two with Mike, part one with Josh. You know, Ben. You know, it's gonna be there's a lot of future turned out of punk fucked up collaborations that are possible. You know, we're gonna be on tour, so we're gonna have to do that. So. Go out there and get tickets for that while you can. Uh, some of those shows are selling out, so strike quickly for some of them. Uh, you can find those on various ticket websites. If you go to fuckedup.cc, they're there as well. Check out those that record, Dose Your Dreams, though. Um, I'm pretty proud of it. Pretty proud to be involved with that thing, and it's going to be dropping uh, for you uh, real soon. You know, or, or it already has dropped, so you should check it out real soon. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's been a rough week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, go out there and make your own culture. Uh, oh, next week. Yes. Next week on the show, in celebration of a incredible reissue that has been a long time coming, especially in this format. It's been remastered. It looks beautiful. Finally, finally gets the treatment it deserves in a reissue form. Uh, in celebration of the reissue of Feel the Darkness, a rare but much, much appreciated part two with the one, the only, Jerry A. of Poison Idea. Jerry will be on the show to discuss Feel the Darkness, but to also discuss tons of other stuff. This is a is a hot episode. There are some incredible stories on this one. Um, stories about, oh, just, I'm not going to ruin it for you. That's next week on the show. So, um, yeah, I, 
you go out there, make your own culture, um, support people around you, you know, tell them you, you love them, uh, and, uh, appreciate them. Go, go right now and, and really, you know, talk to everyone around you and let them know what they mean to you because it's, it's hard when they're gone. It's really hard. All right, everyone. Um, that's it. Also remember, please, please sign your organ donor cards and give, give those organs to people that, that need them. Uh, that's it. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Love you. Bye.